Hey everybody, Tim the editor here just to give you a little heads up when it comes to this episode. Um, there was a power surge on my end in the middle of the recording of this episode, so I lost all the audio on my end um, that was recording. So there is like the audio from my end from the first part of the, the episode is coming from Brent's call recorder, and in the second half, I was so embarrassed and, and rushing so hard to get to back onto Skype and record that I didn't change my default I didn't change my microphone preferences in Skype from the default device the microphone that's built into the computer to the Yeti microphone you hear me speaking to right now so the audio quality changes um, in the middle of the episode I won't tell you when but I hope it's not too much of a big difference but I just want to give you a heads up that there's going to be a little bit of an audio difference uh, than my usual shows uh, for this episode. I hope it's not too much of an issue. I hope everybody's enjoying this episode. So, Tim from the past, take it away. Welcome to Anything Goes, the best geek and pop culture show broadcasting from Long Island, New York. I'm your host, Timothy Rooney, and we're back with a brand new episode. And we're continuing our Russo retrospective. And this is kind of like the first episode was about... Captain America the Winter Soldier, and now we're on to Captain America Civil War. And it's going to be the, 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 we're covering the four Russo Brothers directed movies in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, and they'll be dulled out as time goes on. And I know we're approaching, like, my busy season, which is around fall season, because they usually, hey, this is why I'm going to be talking about horror movies a lot and making uh, horror movie videos and everything. But before that, I want to talk about some more superhero stuff, because I'm finally back in the mood to talk about superhero stuff, because for the month of July, it stressed me out. I didn't want to do with anything with superheroes, but today we're back and we're talking about Cats America Civil War. Now, if you listened to the first episode in this series, you know who my co-host is already is. But if you haven't listened to it yet, I highly suggest you do so. But my co-host, he is kind of like, how would I describe him? Oh, he is like a Hydra agent when it's part of the Squadcast media right there, hidden amongst the people right there, unaware that they, they have a Marvel zombie in their midst. But it's not really like that because he's he fully waves a flag of Marvel uh, uh, at Squadcast media. Mr. Brent Clark, how are you doing, Brent? Hail Hydra. <laughs> I love that. I love that. Yeah, you're right. It's definitely no secret, but I still I love the idea of it. So I'm totally going to own that. I was literally washing my hands earlier today, and I'm just like, huh, huh, he's a hydrant agent in Squadcast Media right there. Let me rinse my hands now. Uh, it, it's the weird innocuous things that I, I'm I'm able to be the most creative with. Well, you know, I, I think you did a fine job with it, and I'm going to have to uh, relay that message to some of the others. So hopefully they'll hear this, just because I love the idea of being the, the secret hydrant agent who's not so secret anymore. No, no, no. You have been exposed by the files that uh, Black Widow has dumped up on the internet. That's what you are right now. But you're still on the run and still uh, styling and profiling as a Hydra agent. God darn it, Natasha. Revealing my, my secrets like that and the, after the last time we met. Just dumping everything out there. And now i got to pay all the consequences for it with these accords. I know. It, it, it's like, it's unfortunate. Like, he, you're trying to keep some secrets and everything like that, but now they end up on the internet. But that's just life, apparently. But before we go any further, like I said, we're talking about Captain America Civil War. So let's jump into our review of it right now.
Okay, before we get into the movie, uh, Brent, what is your history with the comic book Civil War, which is uh, an adaptation of? I uh, read it as it was coming out. Um, I, uh, Unlike the sequel Civil War II, I quite enjoy the first Civil War. Uh, I was definitely Team Cap. I've always been Team Cap, even though I do understand why some people say he is in, ultimately in the wrong. I think there's an argument to be made there for sure, but... Um, you know, that's right in the middle of the Ed Brubaker run on Captain America, which is absolutely my favorite run of that title. Just a phenomenal, phenomenal piece of work there. And, I mean, Civil War, I mean, it, when the comic came out, it is a big thing. I mean, everybody likes it when the heroes, they they meet each other, and there's always the, the misunderstanding. Oh, we're going to fight the first time we meet so we can team up to save the day later, right? And you kind of get some of that in the MCU, like in the first Avengers movie, they gave you that, right? Like when Thor and Iron Man fought and Captain America had to step in between and try and break it up. But with the comic, with Civil War, it was different because the, the quote-unquote bad guys was another team of superheroes, and yeah, you could debate on like how far gone was Team Cap or how far gone was Team Iron Man. But when it comes down to it, they're all Avengers. They're all heroes. And I, you know, it's a seven-issue run or seven-issue series plus several tie-ins, and I was just riveted with it. I read the entire thing. I read the tie-ins. I read the main book. Uh, when I reread it, which ha I haven't reread it for, it's probably been two, three years at this point. But when I reread it, I usually only reread the main story. But at the time, I read every single book. And I've reread the Spider-Man tie-in several times. Uh, I mean, it, Civil War was huge. The comic book Civil War was absolutely huge for the Spider-Man character at that time. Because that's when he outed himself as Spider-Man. Peter Parker... Spider-Man basically came up on stage, took his mask off, and said, my name is Peter Parker. I've been Spider-Man since I was 15 years old. Any questions? <laughs> and the issue ends. And it was just massive, like, truly, truly seismic at the time. Now, they Marvel's since kind of walked that back, and they did their whole brand new thing, which I refuse to brand new day thing, which I refuse to talk about. Yeah. But they've ultimately put that genie back in the bottle, or whatever you want to call it. But at the time... Peter being outed was massive. And then not technically part... It, it's not technically an official issue of Civil War, though I argue it should have been, but Captain America number 25, fallout from Civil War, Captain America was killed. And that led to Bucky Cap. That led to Iron Man. Steve had le left, basically left him a letter, not unlike him leaving him a letter at the end of this movie. This time, though, in the comics, again, Steve is presumed dead, saying, hey, don't let the Captain America legacy, you know, die. And look after my friend Bucky, who is the Winter Soldier. He's back. He wasn't in his right mind. And Tony decided to kill two birds. And Tony was the one in the comics who basically gave the Captain America mantle over to Bucky. I was riveted for all of that stuff. I absolutely loved it. I still love Bucky Cap's costume in the comics. Absolutely great. But that came later, of course. So Civil War, on the whole, I was there from day one for every issue. And I, I love it. I think it's a great Marvel comic book event. Very nice. It's curious because 
Um, I guess it's just a syndrome of crossover events there. Like you can have a main storyline, but then all of a sudden like, oh, I got to pivot 90 degrees in order to placate a mandated story that sometimes can work with the story you're telling. And sometimes it's like, no, I, I got to put this on the back burner until the the rest of the publisher wants us to tell this story. And it seems like Brubaker's run was obviously heavily affected by Civil War. And I wonder if his storyline would have been different for Captain America if Civil War never happened. You know, that's a good point. Lots of lots of comic books have to deal with the line-wide event tie-in interrupting their story. Some do it better than others. I don't know the backstory there of how involved Brubaker was in the Civil War planning, how much lead time he had in it. But I tell you, reading it at the time, it really felt seamless to me. Like, I, I didn't get that jarring effect the way that you, you often do in other books. Right. Like, like the one example that I've experienced was I was reading Kyle Higgins's run on Nightwing in the New 52. And it's about Dick Grayson taking over uh, Haley Circus and being his own man and being his own crime fighter. But then suddenly, oh, a few issues I got to deal with uh, death of the family storyline. Same thing with Batgirl. Like, I had to deal with that. It's like, oh, yeah, we got to we got to we got to make a left turn in Albuquerque to That's deal with this example. I read all of those tie-ins, and they were not all very good. The main story of Death of the Family I really enjoyed, but all the tie-ins were, frankly, they were pretty weak on the whole. And that's a good example, because it did just interrupt stories that these other books were telling. And that's why, I mean, the events, they're so hard. You know, there's an event going on that Marvel just started called Empire, and... I haven't read it yet, you know? It's gotten kind of mixed reviews, and I've looked at what it's about, and I'm like, okay, it sounds interesting, but they're so expensive that the only Empire-related books I've read is if it's tied into a book that I'm already reading. So, like, if the next issue of uh, Miles Morales' Spider-Man is an Empire tie-in, well, then I'm going to read that. But for the bulk of Empire, I'm just... And really, the last couple big events, I've just kind of waited for Marvel Unlimited. Subscription service, you know, Netflix for Marvel six months behind and you can read the books for not technically free, but effectively free because it's just built into your subscription. And I, I think it's, they're far more valuable that way because otherwise it's so expensive. And then you interrupt runs and like uh, trade paperback collections never work as well because it's like issues six or 12 are in this trade and then issues uh, 14 through 20 in that one. And you're like, well, what happened to issue 13? Oh, that was a tie into an event. So nobody, they didn't collect it. And it just screws stuff up. It's I, I definitely prefer when the tie-ins are actually mini series because of that stuff. But I mean, it's comics. It comes with the territory. Right. I mean, like I think of like, I don't think all of nightfall still has yet to be collected in, in trade form. See, like, I, the- I thought it had, but you know, I've only, I've never read it from start to finish. I've for Nightfall, I've read the bits and pieces that I found as a kid at comic shops. Right, like there's the three giant trade paperbacks that are like a couple hundred pages a piece, like the three giant ones. Like you put three of them together, you might be able to stop a bullet uh, entering your heart if you're shot at. Um, but I still think there's there might be some stuff that's not included right there. But that's something like I feel like you would have to like put like a bunch of pages on a, a wall with yarn trying to map it out. Like, all right, is everything in here? Whether you're going through like Mike's Amazing World and DC Wiki trying to figure out at least you know, all the tie-ins in these books. Mm-hmm. And speaking of mixed reviews, like that's why I had 
that's the impression I got of the Civil War comic was that it was mixed reviews because unlike the movie, it seemed like, oh, the comic was leaning like Tony was right in the end. It took a stand with one of the characters. It didn't leave it kind of neutral where everybody can follow on each side. Now, now people obviously did fall on their own perspective side of the argument in the comics, whether it be like your team cap or your team Iron Man. But like how I guess it's supposed to all shake out like, yeah, the team Iron Man was supposed to be correct. And yet that kind of left people a little jaded a little bit. And I remember specifically it was wintertime around 2011 because I was working at Walmart with frequent co-host Mike Wilson and we're talking about like, oh, what are the stories that could be talked about? What could be tackled in the future with the Marvel, with the Marvel Cinematic Universe? And I said, like, maybe they'll do Civil War one day. Like, no, that's that's a terrible idea. Like, why would they do that? Because the, I've heard the comic series is kind of mixed. I don't know if they were able to do that in a movie. Lo and behold, five years later, they eventually would. Yeah, it turns out they absolutely could do it and quite successfully, if you ask me. Yeah, without the requisite hundreds of Marvel characters that were affected in the comics, which that that's kind of narrowed down to like what 15 in this movie. Yeah. And of course, I mean, as with all adaptations, there are definitely there's differences and there's also things you can be like, yes, like that concept or that scene or like that literal image is from the comics. Eh, But this thing is different. Spider-Man, for example, he's team. He starts off team Iron Man in the comics and then he basically has a change of hearts and he defects to Captain America's side. He doesn't have that change of heart in in, in the movie. Uh, Black Widow sort of does because she lets him go at one point. Well, she was Team Iron Man and then she just let Steve, Steve and Bucky go. But Spider-Man never does. He's Team Iron Man all the way through. So, like, there are definitely changes. Uh, Spider-Man's identity in the MCU right now, it is outed, but it's not outed as a result of Civil War. Yeah, it was a result of Mysterio... Uh pulling the last, uh, like, all right, this is the last grenade I have in my uh, quiver here. I know I'm mm-hmm. mixing analogies. And it really, I always felt it was like, because, uh, like, obviously the Spider-Man movies are still made by Sony with association with Disney's Marvel. I kind of wonder if, like, this is like, all right, this is a last-ditch effort to keep um, Sony involved with Marvel. Like, yeah, we're going to end it on such a cliffhanger that you Disney has to play ball. Otherwise people would riot if you would not be able to continue doing Tom Holland's Spider-Man. Um, when I, I saw, I saw Spider-Man far from home with, uh, my Marvel squad cast co-host Brock, just been super close friend of mine for as long as I can remember at this point. It feels like, I mean, I know when we met, it was in college, but it's like, I just Brock's been around forever. He's just, I talk to him all the time about this stuff. He's right there with me watching this. And, as soon as we're done freaking out about J. Jonah Jameson, like I look at him and go, oh my gosh, they must have extended the deal because there's no way they ended this way if they didn't extend the deal. And then, of course, we all know what happened the following the rest of the summer. There's the whole quote-unquote divorce, and then everything comes back together a few months later, and we find out they did not ex- have that deal extended. So I really want to know who's ultimate, like, I'd like to have been in that meeting rooms to find out, oh, we are going to out Peter and put him in this place, but we don't know who's telling the story because... You're right, it's distributed by Sony, but it's Marvel Studios who does most of the actual production on those movies. Not all of it, but most of it. And so it's like, I don't know. Thank thank goodness we don't have to worry about it. They worked it all out. 
But so they're at that place now, like Peter's identity is outed, just like the Civil War comics did. But they got to it from a very different place because, again, in this, I mean, you could argue that the Avengers, at least the people on Team Iron Man, probably know who Peter is, but nobody else really does. No, and but that's why I hope for the third solo Spider-Man movie within MCU. I just hope it's like it literally picks up like moments after that, and it just becomes a a nonstop like it's like speed but like with spider-man like we like it's almost done in real time like that's how crazy the next spider-man story is like that's something i'm kind of hoping for in the next spider-man movie yeah because between homecoming and infinity war which was spider-man's back-to-back appearances there like his next two appearances after civil war there's somewhere between 18 months to two years because infinity war takes place roughly two years after civil war and then it's just a question of how much time in homecoming actually passed but then after after Infinity War to Endgame, of course, there's the five-year time jump. And then Far From Home picked up, like, Homecoming kind of left on a cliffhanger of Aunt May finding out that Peter was Spider-Man. And we didn't get to see that very next moment, which I wouldn't mind if we did, if they went back to it. But I hope they don't do another big time jump for whatever Spider-Man 3 is going to be called. One real life is going to be catching up with what year the MCU is again, because for most of the MCU, most of the movies, the year the movie comes out is the year the movie takes place. So I kind of hope that we do get to see, you know, Peter's on the, he's on the streets with MJ. He's looking at the, the, the video screen and he sees J Jonah Jameson playing this video of Mysterio outing him. I would love to see that immediately picked up on. But we'll find out. Of course, we're we're definitely getting far down ahead of ourselves here. But I that is something I I really want to see is that very next scene. I want somebody to chroma key Peter Parker running down the street next to John Wick at the beginning of John Wick Three, where he's like, "All right, I got an hour to live to get hunkered down before everybody starts attacking me." Like that's what I got. That's what I want to see at the beginning of Spider-Man 3. Yeah, that's something uh, really cool about those John Wick movies, how close they actually take place to each other. Exactly. Um, but going into Captain America Civil War, the movie, uh, what was your headspace like after Age of Ultron and then going into this movie? I, I specifically say Age of Ultron because I think Age of Ultron is a better movie because of Civil War, in my opinion. I'll get into details as we go along. Oh, I think I think that Earlier MCU movies are definitely heightened by later ones, and that is a good example of it. Here's where I'm at. I've loved the Avengers, and then I was had my mind like blown away by the fact that I came out of Winter Soldier thinking, I think I like that one more than the Avengers. Like that at the time, the Avengers seemed like it, it should be like the height of the comic book movie genre. Like it was never going to be topped. Like if that was the best it ever got, I would die a happy comic book fan. And then Winter Soldier comes out, and they nail it. And then you got something crazy like Guardians of the Galaxy, and they nail it. And then Age of Ultron, and I know it's got its detractors, but even Age of Ultron, I feel like, I feel like part of why Age of Ultron isn't looked as fondly as it as the first Avengers is because it's not the first one; it's the second one. So it's just a little less special having them all come together. And I really enjoyed Age of Ultron. To this day, I really enjoy Age of Ultron. And coming out of it. I was excited for Civil War, but we knew the Civil War was coming. So, like, Age of Ultron was kind of like, it wasn't out yet, but Civil War had been announced. And, in fact, it was originally, I don't know if you, did you have you ever seen the announcement where Civil War was actually, like, revealed, like, when they did that panel? 
I don't think I have. So it was at the El Capitan Theater, and I want to say 20, 2013, 2014. No, I'm going to go with 2015. I'd have to look it up, but I'm going to go with 2015, regardless of when it was. They actually announced Captain America 3 was going to be Captain America the Serpent Society. And then they announced the rest of the Phase 3 slate, which at the time included the Inhumans, did not include any Spider-Man movies, and did not include Ant-Man and the Wasp. And then Inhumans fell off, the Spider-Man movies got added, Ant-Man and the Wasp got added, and at the, but at the very end of the slate, they said, by the way, it's not really Serpent Society. It's actually Captain America Civil War. They brought out Robert Downey Jr., they brought out Chris Evans, and had them like face off on stage, and that's where they announced Chadwick Boseman as Black Panther, so, like, at this point, I'm going to see Age of Ultron, but I know Civil War is coming. And if you know that, I, I do think it kind of affects the viewings of Age of Ultron, because you see hints of, like, divides of... I mean, even back to the first Avengers movie, of where Tony and Steve, they work together, but they... You could maybe even call themselves friends. They consider each other friends, but it's like, man, there's definitely, like, some tension between the two of you. And so, as we get to Civil War... All of that's there. All of this tension, everything that just happened with Sokovia, with Ultron, with, with I mean, really with Iron Man being not by himself, not entirely, but largely responsible for Ultron. Now, you can make an argument that he did not actually succeed at bringing Ultron to life, because if you think about it, you go back to those scenes, they tried tons and tons and tons of different attempts at bringing him to life, and when he finally came to life... It just spontaneously happened. It wasn't anything to do that Bruce or that Tony did. A lot of people forget Bruce was involved in that. And so regardless, one way or the other, Tony is at least involved in Ultron, right? And now we're coming to Civil War, and so you get why he's so affected by this woman talking about her son who died in Sokovia, who was one of the victims of it. And it... I mean, I love the way these movies tie together. A lot of people will look at Captain America Civil War and complain, oh, it's Avengers 2.5, or Captain America doesn't have a real trilogy. And my response to that is, sure, call it whatever you want. Marvel Civil War, Avengers Civil War, Captain America Civil War. I don't care. And as far as the trilogy goes, do any of the MCU characters have a trilogy? They have three movies, but do they have a trilogy? I would argue they don't, because... Every single character with that many movies, their th second appearance, their third appearance are informed by things that happened in other movies. Eh, Iron Man 1 to 2, okay, direct shot there. But Iron Man 3 is absolutely informed largely by the Avengers. I mean, heavily. Iron Man 3 without the Avengers, it doesn't even, like, it almost doesn't make sense of the story that's being told there. Thor 3 doesn't really make sense of how he got there with that. Like, as follow-up from Thor 2, it doesn't make sense without Avengers Age of Ultron. Captain America Civil War. How he gets there from where the Winter Soldier is left doesn't make sense without Age of Ultron. That's why I argue uh, trilogy in the sense of there's three of them, but not trilogy in the sense of, like, Batman Begins, The Dark Knight, and The Dark Knight Rises, where it's his own little thing, or... Uh, you know, the original episodes four, five, and six of Star Wars, like where that's a trilogy. And so, like, this is all in the back of my head as I'm going in to see Civil War. And at the same time, part of my brain is just waiting for that first sign of Spider Man. Because I vividly remember the, when I found out definitively and I first saw footage he was going to be in the movie, like, I remember about I I know exactly where I was 
at work when I should have been working, watching the trailer for the first time that Spider-Man was going to be seen. Like I, I could, I could tell you what building I was in and I could tell you the, I couldn't tell you the room number, but I could walk to the room specifically, even though that room I know has been repurposed now and it's not the same setup. I know exactly where I sat in that room, watching that trailer for the first time to see Spider-Man with this movie. So like I've got all of this in my head walking into this movie. So it's this movie for me, absolutely massive anticipation. It's not something that I could say I went into like where I was able to just shove everything aside and let the movie present. No, it's all in the back of my head. Everything with between Tony and Steven in age of Ultron, knowing Spider-Man is coming, knowing Thor and Hulk aren't around. What, how is that going to be addressed? Cause at this point we didn't know where they were. All of this is in my head as I see that Mar- Marvel logo going for civil war. Well, I can understand because obviously <clears throat> people who know you know you're a huge Spider-Man fan. And the fact that you were able to remember what room you're in, like when you saw it, um, it kind of makes sense why they had to repurpose that room after you saw the trailer. <laughs> I'm, I'm just going to say no comment on that. Let that one go. Let that one go. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I will let the audience's imagination run wild right there. I won't even make a reference there. Like you just make it up in your own mind. Um, yeah, it, it is curious there because – how I perceive Age of Ultron, which obviously still gets paid off as far as Endgame, which we'll get into when we finally get to that episode, um, that I think Joss Whedon, like in hockey terms, Joss Whedon gets an assist based upon the goal that the Russos did with Civil War. That we didn't set him up for the shot when ter- in terms of the relationships between Cap and Tony that's executed in Captain America Civil War. And you're right, because going into Age of Ultron, it is like the public knew Civil War was coming. So you knew eventually like, oh, and we'd already had seen, we had mentioned it before in the first Avengers, that scene where they, that Capitoli nearly locked horns when they're being manipulated by uh, Loki's staff when they're on the helicarrier. And so you expect, like, all right, there's going to be further breadcrumbs in Age of Ultron, which there were, and eventually does lead to blows at one point because of the creation of Vision. And I feel like the my feelings on Age of Ultron, because you wait two hours in the first Avengers to get to that one shot where it goes all throughout New York City, seeing all the Avengers uninterrupted fighting side by side against the Chitauri. And it's a big, bombastic and fist pumping moment. Age of Ultron is the very first time we see the team. It's the it's a similar shot of them. It's a tie-in shot, seeing them all interact with each other, ending with a, almost a splash page where it's like them all in profiles. They hop over a ridge to take on these Hydra soldiers. So you're right. It couldn't be special at that point because it literally you got that, that dopamine hit at the very beginning of the movie, and yet there's still two hours and 19 minutes or whatever left in that movie. It couldn't help but not be able to compare because it's obviously it will never be the first movie again. Yeah. You know, I actually, I actually, uh, dabbled around with like blogging and stuff. And I wrote a review of age of Ultron and I remember, and this was after writing it after one viewing. And while my opinion on this, this has changed the, the ultimate point, I think remains where I basically said, I think the biggest thing that the first movie has going for over the second movie is that it's the first movie because I felt like everything the first movie did great. The second movie did every bit as good, if not better. And luckily I may, I mean, 
I do believe that it's okay to go back and as you repeat viewings to modify your opinions and change your opinions and that's okay. But I still do believe that's true that the, the biggest thing that age of Ultron doesn't have going for it is it's not the first one. And so no, we come to civil war. It's not the first time we've seen all these heroes on screen together, but it's the first time we've seen them all fight against each other this way. And no, they're not necessarily out to kill each other the whole time, which is kind of a point that a lot of people, I, I think, miss about this movie. Is like it, it was never, it was always a capture, not a kill scenario. You're but, right. Oh, sorry. I was just going to say, but when you get to this movie, this movie does give us like our first big live action group of heroes for like group of superpowered individuals versus another group of superpower individuals. I still want to see, you know, like the Legion of doom or the injustice society or masters of evil from Marvel, like versus the Avengers or the justice league. Like I still want to see that. And like, this is kind of the closest we've gotten to that two superpowered groups going at it. Yeah. I mean, like, I'm still waiting for a Legion of Doom follow-up, but we'll see how that uh, all turns out next year. Um, but, yeah, like, I think the biggest thing that's a detriment to Age of Ultron, which is a kind of a detriment to some of the other MCU movies, is that they had to... They're not just serving one master. Because it's part of a, of a cinematic universe, it has to spin a lot more place rather than along with telling its own story. So it feels like Whedon has to cram an entire season's worth of storyline into a two-hour and 20-minute movie. And I know that can kind of feel stuffed. That's why Thor drops out of the movie for like 30% of the flick. And and like I, I, by the time I saw Thor Ragnarok, I was wondering, like, what has Thor been up to as I finally sit down to watch the movie? And I'm like, what? Like, I, was, I, I literally was racking my brain. What was the last time I saw Thor? I'm like, oh, right. He was at the in the Age of Ultron. Okay. Like, that's how bad it was. But mm -hmm. I still really enjoy Age of Ultron. I think it kind of gets a bum rap. Yeah, um, totally. I, I really enjoy James Spader as Ultron. Um, What was it? I, I see Hulkbuster, the Hulkbuster in... I believe it's actually in Wakanda where it actually happens. Not, it's, not, it's not in Wakanda or... It's in South Africa, I believe. It's in South Africa specifically, excuse me. Yeah, well, Wakanda wasn't mentioned until Civil War. Well, that, that's not true. There was like one little... A name drop. Uh, there was a name drop that Bruce said. But, like, you don't actually... As a place, Wakanda's not... Not a place, because he's not a place in Civil War. As a presence, Wakanda is not felt until Civil War. Let's put it that way. Right. And so, when did... What was your first experience seeing Civil War on the big screen? Like, how? what was that first experience like for you? Oh, it, I mean, it was it was great. I was there, and I'm, I'm, you know, th seeing the massive block letters. Which, yeah, I've made fun of it many times as well. Um, but I'm just, again, part of me in the back of my mind is just waiting to get to Spider Man. But Spider Man aside, the Captain America cast of characters is my favorite group of characters in the MCU. So Cap, Falcon, Bucky. And you get a whole lot of those characters in this movie. So I'm still just riveted with the whole thing. And, you know, I was I was trying my best to just watch the movie. But I still had all that in the back of my mind. But even I didn't, like, immediately... I know a lot of people did. I didn't immediately put together that, that the people that, that Bucky was killing as Winter Soldier at the very beginning 
was the Starks. And I didn't immediately tie it back in my head back to that reveal in Winter Soldier when Arnim Zola showed, hey, we are behind the death of the Starks, heavily implying it was Bucky. And so I, I was still able to be kind of surprised at a couple things and like let the movie get me. And once I got, I, I want to say like once I got to probably to the end of the Lagos scene, to the, the end of that fight when, when the bomb goes off on Crossbones and Scarlet Witch tried to fling him away and ended up flinging him into the building. By the time I got there, I was kind of probably able to like tune out my very rapidly moving head and brain and just taken the movie for what it was um i do still remember how massive the smile was on my face when i first saw queens pop up on the screen again in those ridiculously large letters but i knew what that meant and it was something i had been waiting for that night i posted something on facebook about like i couldn't possibly describe how special it was to me to see my favorite character as a part of my favorite franchise and to this day like it I, I I will talk with people a lot about the concept of like happy movies and or happy TV shows, and I don't mean like the entire content of them. Like this Civil War is not like a feel good movie, but it is a feel good movie to me because of how special this movie was to me, if that makes sense. And it's really stuck with like like if I'm feeling down or whatever, like this isn't. There's Spider Man Homecoming is another one, very different feelings, but like this is a movie from the MCU that I can always put on if I want just a, you know, a, a happiness booster, if you will. Awesome. Um, I had a very different experience seeing this for the first time. Uh, my girlfriend, Tom, and I argued on the way to the theater. Um, I ended up getting, I ran over a tree branch and got like lodged into underneath my car. Aww. Yeah. So like, I, like we went into the movie theater very bitter. Like I obviously the relationship did not last much longer after this, like oh, only a few more months and then we broke up. Um, so, and that, it was, it was a bunch of movies around that time that we, we were very snippy towards each other. And like, especially the movie gone girl, which is like a very bad movie to see if you're arguing with like your significant other or boyfriend or girlfriend or whatever, because that's a movie about a significant other trying to ruin the other person's life. And so we left the theater. It's like, well, this is, it was a very uncomfortable car ride home. Um, but with civil war, so like I started off kind of as like angry and like my arms kind of crossed. I was like, all right, let's see. Let's, let's see if this changes my mood. And by the time like you, when queen shows up on the screen, the big, huge gigantic titles. Um, I mean, the fact that Queens is only half an hour away from here. And so people cheered for a, because Hey, it's not too far from here. And B, because we knew who that, that I was referring to and what character Tony was just talking about. And so, yeah, it was just like, wow, okay, they pulled it off. And, like, I made that connection. Like, okay, Civil War made Age of Ultron a better movie. And like you, I did not expect the the beginning of the movie kind of uh, hood. Like, it, it's a sleight of hand. It's like the movie opens up in 1991 when Bucky Barnes, the Hydra agent, is dispatched to intercept a, a car and to get some kind of... Um, blue gelatin out of a case in, that's in the trunk, which we later find out, okay, it is the super soldier serum. So it seems like the super soldier serum does exist and still around there. It's a so, modified version of it. It's not the one that Steve Rogers had, but because Erskine, the person who created it was, was dead. He was killed and he had the knowledge with him. It's basically their attempt at recreating it. Right. 
So, okay, now I'm going to jump further into the I'm going to jump to our future now. Does that mean that possibly the next Captain America will get that by the end of his season of television that's on Disney Plus? Um, I, it's certainly possible. I mean, I I wouldn't rule it out, but I would I would bet against it because like right now, I don't think that serum's anywhere to be found. I mean, there there were some to jump to the end of the movie they went where they thought they were going to find more super soldiers more winter soldiers and stuff and that facility had been destroyed and I, i'm not going to say it's impossible but i would not put money on it let's put it that way i mean we've still got bucky around who's got his modified version in him and then of course uh, he's does he's not captain america but I, I don't know if i really see sam I, I do see a conversation happening where he wishes he had it, but I don't know if I see him actually taking it if it were presented with to him. Right. I, I just don't know if like the physical match, because the need, like I feel like the amount of strength you need to wield the shield, like physically, not just like emotionally carrying on the mantle, but like being able to catch that vibrating shield flying back at you only, super strength people have been able to do that without uh without any problems people like cap bucky and spider-man and obviously being bad away by thanos later on so i wonder like like if sam's gonna go catch it and he catches it and then like a chuck jones cartoon he's gonna fly out of frame because the inertia takes him off his feet you know, I think that is something we're going to see in Falcon and Winter Soldier. I, I, I would fully expect to see something where he goes to catch the shield and it knocks him over. I, I mean, we're going to see him practicing. I mean, there, we've gotten like one 30-second spot during the Super Bowl of Disney, the Disney Plus shows. And it's got stuff from WandaVision and Loki, too. So it's not even entirely Falcon and Winter Soldier. But you see him there what looks like he's practicing. So, I mean, I would not expect him to... I would almost be disappointed if the shield, let's say antics that we saw him pull off were the equal of what Steve Rogers could do because he's had less time with the shield and he's physically less capable because he doesn't have the super soldier serum in him. Gotcha. And so, yeah. Um, and then it cuts to modern day 2016 where Steve Rogers, Natasha Romanoff, Sam Wilson and Wanda Maximoff uh, trying to stop uh, Crossbones from stealing a biological weapon in uh, Lagos. And while this happens, a lot of collateral damage happens along the way, resulting into people questioning the Avengers, um, I would say, tactics in kind of these kind of situations. So how do you feel about this set piece that sets up the entire storyline and the rift between characters? You know, the this action scene, the Battle of Lagos, for lack of a better phrase. I actually think it's really well done, and I enjoy watching it, but it's not one that gets talked about. Like There are several action scenes throughout this movie, and for some reason, this one often gets overlooked. And I don't think it's any deficiency of this one, but just rather a testament to how good the other ones are. I think this serves its purpose. It basically shows that the Avengers showed up, Things spiraled out of control. Is it their fault? That's debatable. That's kind of the point is to have that debate. And when it came time to it, Wanda couldn't get it done. And she was incapable of stopping the bomb, of moving it in the way that she needed to, to save everybody. And so while, you know, Steve tells her it's not your fault and Wanda says, oh no, they're being very clear. It's definitely my fault when she's talking about the news on TV. 
I think you could have that debate. And I think, I mean, in the comics, this is different because it was the new warriors. The, the inciting event for it was the new warriors at like a school filming a reality show when one of the people they're fighting explodes. Cause they're like a human bomb. So it's not the exact same, but it's this definitely got the beats with the modern group of characters, like with the, with the movie group of characters, I should say, where ultimately civilians were killed because a bomb went off that the Avengers were unable to contain. And as a result, it leads to the Accords. Yeah, it really is. It is it's in the James Bond tradition, much like how the Lumerian star was for Winter Soldier. That's what this takedown of crossbones and lagos is for a civil war and it has some of my favorite beats when it comes to action when it specifically with black widow like the one moment i always love is when she she's fighting off crossbones men as they're trying to get into her like an armored vehicle and she jumps she grabs a hold of one of the soldiers and kicks the dude behind him and then throws the one she's latched onto to the ground like it's just like the fluidity like there it's really fantastic as well as Frank Grillo back as Crossbones having no Fs to give when it comes to collateral damage and trying to kill as many people as possible as long as it gets as long as he gets a uh, cap in his crosshairs. You know the the widow moment that I really like in this scene is when Crossbones actually like throws her into that tank and then drops a grenade down there and she's able to survive by using Crossbones' own men as her human shields like that. For for me, that's a highlight of this scene. I, I can't believe I, I'm going to say this, but like, yeah, it looks like the member of Crossbones team was a real agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. right there. <laughs> you, uh, I feel like there's not many people you can get away with saying that to, but I'm one of them, so well done. Well done. Yeah, <laughs> uh, after I said it, I'm like, eh? Eh? Oh, all right. It was like I will allow it. <laughs> <laughs> waka waka that's the that's the brand of humor i bring to the table um what i find really fascinating is the fact that, like a lot of this was shot in atlanta and like the atlantic that's the atlantic um i don't know if it's the civic center like that's the exterior building of like that's the exterior of it and then the interior was used for mit and they literally just went like they had people go to Lag- lagos to get like plates but a lot of this was shot in atlanta because at this point Disney had relocated to Atlanta, Georgia to set up their base of operations. And until they said that I was none the wiser and thought like, wow, they actually did shot this in Lagos, but apparently not. Yeah. I'm not surprised at that. I I mean, it, it's gotta be cheaper to do it that way than to actually take your entire career on location that way. doesn't surprise me, but I, I never would have known it had I not read that like behind the scenes later. Yeah. I mean, like it was one of those kind of I don't know if it was slightly disheartening when I find out found out like, oh, yeah, none of the Avengers went to South Korea to shoot that huge set piece in Age of Ultron. And you're like, oh, OK, that explains the real CGI nature of that set piece. Uh, but then again, you have a runaway train. So, yeah, CGI is going to need to be uh, used for that. Um, I, I feel kind of like. You could have gotten more out of Crossbones. I feel like it, like sure he is used to really kickstart the movie. I just feel like oh you could have you could have milked that out a little bit more of that kind of conflict between he and Cap. I don't know if that's just me or not. No, I agree. He could have 
there could have been more stories to tell with his involvement. He was he was kind of used as a bridge between this and Winter Soldier because again, like I said earlier, like this does not immediately follow Winter Soldier, but we have not seen that character since the end of Winter Soldier when we saw he survived, but that his face was badly burned. We start this movie off basically within the first, what, 15 minutes or so of seeing his face is badly burned. It just kind of, I think used as that transition piece. Right. And, and so because of that, because, uh, Scarlet, Witch tried to get the suicide bombing, uh, crossbones out of the danger zone, um, accidentally blows up a building in the process. Um, so this is when the rest of the world's wondering, like, maybe it's not a good thing to have the Avengers to be able to go around on their own free accord. At the same time, Tony Stark is at MIT, um, giving out grants left and right to everybody that's there. And so like, I just want to be like Alex and Knox from Batman A9 and say, can I have a grant? Um, but I, w- I want to like, mention something before that scene at the end of Lagos. By all means. When Steve gets the upper hand on Crossbones, Crossbones distracts him by basically saying, you know, like he re- he remembered you, your pal, your Bucky. And he uses the name Bucky to throw Captain America off because obviously Crossbones knows exactly what that name will do to him. Like this isn't by accident. This isn't by chance. This is a tactical move by Crossbones part to mess with Steve. And something that I appreciate about this scene more now is Steve knows how that affected him and how that distracted him here. Right? So of course he uses it against his younger self in Avengers Endgame because he saw how it happened to him. And I, that's just one of those things of something we see in a later movie, putting deeper meaning to something now. I can't believe I ate it wasn't until this moment that I just realized that, that you pointed that they're like, of course that like, it's a nice little setup to be paid off later. I feel like America's ass now. <laughs> well, don't worry. It's, it's not, I've, I've, it's not something that gets talked about a lot because usually people are just complaining that he stopped fighting at the name Bucky. But again, Crossbones knows what, what and who Bucky is and means to Steve. And so it's, it's a tactical move on his part. And, well, I wouldn't say it entirely worked because Steve survived. It kind of worked because he was distracted, allowing himself to basically get the bomb to to arm the bomb so it would go off. And then we go to MIT, like you said. Yeah, it's almost like using a a name of a person's past to distract them. Uh, sounds silly in one movie and perfectly fine in this one. It, it, I don't know why it seems like people have a... Um, kind of biased opinions on that. And I'm just going to leave it as vague as, as possible right there. Wow. <clears throat> Way to just hang a lantern <laughs> on that. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's almost as bright as Paul Revere can use it to warn the rest of America. Um, and so we go to MIT where Pepper Potts and Tony Stark no longer together temporarily. Um, and then we, when Tony tries to get away from the fact that everybody's like, so, Elated the fact that he's he's paid for all the grants of all the MIT students in attendance of his little conference that he runs he runs into Black Mariah in the hallway. <laughs> That's right. Well, same actress anyway. Um, can I ask yeah. what you think of the barf machine and the de aging of of Robert Downey Jr. There when he does that little uh, play acting with his parents? 
Um, you know, like how people give shit for Rogue One for Tarkin and Princess Leia. So I've heard people do it, but I've never understood it. <laughs> I think this is worse than what that's done in Rogue One. I really do not think this holds up whatsoever. So I, I feel like I feel like that should be the case because like Rogue One came out later, they should be better at it. It never bothered me in Rogue One, and it doesn't bother me here in general. But it is jarring to see this super skinny Robert Downey Jr. Not that he's a big fat guy, but he's clearly smaller here. And smoothed over CGI and stuff. It is jarring look like I think they did a really good, I actually think they did a really good job with it, especially with the tech that they had at the time. But it is so obvious something is very off. And then they full on show you why 30 seconds later, because something is off because it's not meant to be real the way that like uh, Tarkin or Leia were meant to be real in Rogue One. Right. I feel like it, Rogue One could have saved himself a lot of headaches they didn't have Tarkin be such a prominent character for without that movie. Like, if he was in two scenes and he's used, like, in silhouette and reflection, I think that would have been fine. Like, I don't have a problem with Leia at the end of that movie because it's so quick. And you're right. The fact that it is a memory playback of what things could have been um, kind of negates, or not negates, but softens the blow that people have, like, the Uncanny Valley, the fact that weird science era Tony Stark walks into a close-up like right there in the giant screen you it makes the audience from his, like leer back going whoa okay yeah it's you know how Clark Gregg uh, Agent Coulson was in Captain Marvel when he was DH for the entire movie yes it's like uh, they did a pretty good job with it but you can still tell it's not quite right whereas here it's part of the story of why it's not quite right when in Captain Marvel it's just he's supposed to be that age at the time. So it's maybe a little more dis- more distracting for people. I mean, I understood it, so it didn't really bother me, but I get where that would throw people off. Yeah, I think the best de-aging in, in terms of the Marvel Cinematic Universe is young Hank Pym at the beginning of the first Ant-Man. I mean, it's the Ant-Man, both Ant-Man movies did de-aging wonderfully. I mean, yeah. just wonder. I mean, I think Samuel L. Jackson looked really good de-aged also. But, I mean, who else? Uh, Michelle Pfeiffer. Who else has been de-aged? Who am I, who, I feel like I'm missing, like, one more person. Right. I, I feel like young, like younger Hank Pym in Endgame looks like, ooh. That's that his, it's that's... his wig. The wig is atrocious in that scene, and I think that ruins the whole thing. <laughs> Yeah, he runs, his hair stands still as he runs out the hallway. It is, it's, it's yes. not, like Spider-Man, it does not uh, obey the laws of physics whatsoever. Yeah, that wig came from the same place that Oliver Queen's wig came in the first season of Arrow. Oh, Jesus Christ, you had to mention that thing. Like, that's... Ugh, now I'm, I'm going to have nightmares because of that now. And so, yeah, like, like we mentioned... Um, the same actress who played Black Mariah in Luke Cage. I'm blanking on her name right now. Um, Audrey Woodard? No. Oh, gosh. Now, now I'm going to have to look it up. Everybody's screaming at their phones right now. But she is there to kind of shame him into... Audrey Woodard. Yes, thank you so much. Thank you so much for being... Um, Clutch in that moment there because Chrome right now is assigned to like go really slow. It doesn't matter. I have 12 tabs open. Um, 
And like the, the, I love on the commentary track, they describe it like, oh, it's our Mrs. Kittner moment from Jaws, where the mother of a victim blames the person who's supposed to be protecting the people at the time, where she says like, hey, my son was there just doing vocation work at Sokovia, and you and your friends dropped a building on him. I wanted you to know that. And it, it really highlights the fact that why Tony would go on to sign on to the Accords, which is proposed a little bit in a few minutes. Um, I think this, this scene just seems to get better and better every time I rewatch this movie. Yeah, I mean, it's this is a great callback to Iron Man 3. She reaches like in her purse just to like pull out the picture of her son. And he has a momentary freak out because he thinks she's about to pull out like a knife or a gun or something. And he kind of tries to like walk it off. Oh, occupational hazard. But then like the look in his eyes, I am reminded of the PTSD that he experienced in Iron Man 3. Yes, exactly. Um, because if you were a person of his status and his shopping list of enemies, anybody reaching into their pockets would be a red flag to you, no matter how far or close they are in proximity of you are to you. And it is really something right there. And it's, uh, I love a little detail, which they kind of highlight when Tony stands next to her out there at the elevator. And that's when Tony realizes like, she didn't press the button for the elevator. She's yeah. just been waiting here. Like that. Mm. I love a little, little detail there to highlight the fact like, yeah, she was specifically waiting for Tony Stark. And so then we cut to, I believe Avengers Mansion or Avengers Mansion. Yeah, the compound and where Wanda is kind of down the dumps because everybody's blaming her for the 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 deaths that happened there in Lagos where Cap tries to reassure her that mistakes are going to happen and do not be too hard on yourself and Vision says, "Hey, we got a visitor" despite the fact that he violates her privacy by walking through a wall and not through the not through the mm-hmm. bedroom yep. door good good running gag there and so we get a call back because who's who is there it is thaddeus ross that we who we have not seen in literally eight years since the incredible hulk played by william hurt and to say like hey you guys have done some great stuff but you also have messed up a lot of things and so you guys gotta be reined in so here are the sokovia court sign on or or else how do you feel about this and the call bringing Ross back into the MCU? I love that they brought him back. I love that they brought him back. I, yes, in general, I prefer Ruffalo as the Hulk, but I liked Edward Norton as the Hulk. I would have been fine had he continued in the role. And that was always kind of the, the forgotten movie, right? It's like, it seemed like there was very rarely any kind of callbacks to it. And like this full on was like, no, remember like that happened. I've got, he's got his history with the Hulk and then with Stark and so on. So I love that they brought him in while at the same time they, he's now a sec, like secretary of state and they've promoted him up. And then of course he comes in and he basically says, you know, I was playing golf. I had a heart attack. It gave me perspective. And I think that's what you guys are missing. And then he puts up on the screen, all of these, basically the third act battles from Avengers, Winter Soldier, and then now Lagos, and of course Sokovia, and just showing like all this chaos and destruction that follows the Avengers in their wake, really hammering it in that you guys need to be checked. Not that you should necessarily stop entirely, but you need 
direction. You're directionless now. We're going to aim you. I mean, basically, he's saying, you guys are a weapon. We are going to be the ones to choose who we aim you at. And I think it's a great scene. And you see immediately the the, the tension on the different people's faces in the room as their question, like Rhodes, military man, wants to defer to him, wants to defer to Secretary Ross, as you would expect, chain of command, right? Tony sitting in the back, you can tell, like, he's already decided, I'm doing this, he's right. Steve is completely uncomfortable. The others are all still taking it in, like they don't understand what's happening to them. And I think it's a great scene. I absolutely agree. And I, I like, I, I imagine the percentage of people who recognize Ross in here might have been lower than people expected. And like maybe like 40% of the people in the audiences around the world, like, oh shit, it's Ross from The Incredible Hulk. Because The Incredible Hulk is still the lowest grossing MCU film to date. And had COVID not happened, would have remained so forever. Who knows in the world of COVID how that'll be counted, but pre-COVID, if COVID hadn't happened, no no MCU movie was ever going to do that poorly. No, but I think that's why whenever Black Widow comes out, it's going to have an asterisk next to it. Well, we just, we just won't be able to compare the numbers. We will not be able to compare Black Widow's and, say, Wonder Woman's box office to uh, anything before 2020. It just, it, it's not, a, it's not even a question of fairness. It's just irrelevant. Yeah. I mean, like why people like are up in arms, but like this, the paying the extra $30 to, to see Mulan, my friend Matt on Twitter pointed out like, Hey, it's like, remember when people had access to pay-per-view and you would pay for a movie. Yeah. You're paying for a streaming service, but it's a brand new thing. It's the same thing. It's just, it's a, like, you just have to, it's a callback to an earlier time. And I guess people just kind of gotten on. They're not used to that anymore. And they kind of want like, Hey, I'm paying for the subscription service. Give me now. And they're being kind of like Veruca Salt's a little bit. That's the second time I've used Veruca Salt to refer to fandom in the past couple of days. Um, you can imagine what the other group is. And so, and you, you would imagine like traditionally cap would be like Rose defer to chain command because he is a military man through and through. However, after the events of both Winter Soldier and of Age of Ultron, Age of Ultron highlights the fact that that um, that Cap can not be satisfied unless he has a conflict to fight. And that's why I love that shot in Age of Ultron where he's standing out. He's staying on the porch of Hawkeye's farmhouse where he he observes the family. And he says, "I could never have this because that's I'm not built for that." Even though he would love to which eventually leads to the ending of Avengers Endgame. But I know a lot of people have issues with like this version of Cap not going along with the Accords because last time he referred to an authority, it turned out to be Hydra, and that was S.H.I.E.L.D. So it makes sense, linearly, that he would not want to go with these Accords because, like he says, our safest hand, the safest hands are still our own, so he doesn't want to... I guess abide by other people's rules because he doesn't want to follow other people's agendas. He's like, let us be our own judges and deal with it ourselves and not have to answer to anybody. Yeah. You know, people, it almost confuses people. It seems that captain America was not immediately like stand up, salute, sign me up. Where do I sign? 
but Tony was, Iron Man was. And if you think back to Iron, the beginning of Iron Man 2 at that congressional hearing, Tony is telling them, well, what we now know is a Hydra agent, no, you can't have the Iron Man suit. It's mine. I built it tough. In Captain America First Avenger, at the time, you really look at it, it just seems like Steve wants to serve. That's all his goal is to serve. But then if you really look at it, it was never about just joining the army. There's this scene right the night before he gets to serve where he just says he doesn't like bullies. And it's not about, he's not necessarily about wanting to just be a military man. It's he wants to protect those who can't protect themselves. And at the time in Captain America 1, the best way to do that was with the U.S. military. You get through Winter Soldier, he's he, and you get through the Avengers and then Winter Soldier, and he still believes that's the best because he hasn't learned any other options. He doesn't know. he like The thought to go out on his own probably never even crosses his mind. And then Winter Soldier happens, Hydra happens, uh, the Hydra infiltration gets exposed, and so now his faith is shaken in the people he thought was supposed to be in charge. So we go through Age of Ultron and this, and they're basically operating under their own. Whereas Tony has almost had the opposite effect. He's had this opposite journey of feeling like everything's on his own in Iron Man 1 and Iron Man 2 to seeing the actions that he was very much had a direct hand in, especially Sokovia. And again, I would argue it's not entirely his fault, but he definitely, among the Avengers, he had the biggest part to play. I mean, I don't think we could, anyone would argue that, not even me. And so he now says, well, look what happened when I was unchecked. And if I'm unchecked, I'm not even necessarily the most powerful among us. I mean, Tony knows Scarlet Witch is more powerful than he is. He knows Thor is more powerful. Vision is more powerful. And so he says, we need to be checked. And their paths cross each other. And I think it's just done beautifully throughout. And it's the kind of thing that you you really only get this journey if you can have this time with these characters so that when they do come to blows later and even here like the the, the debate starts happening not they don't like you know they don't fight physically but they start the debates the arguing if you will starts happening in the scene and it really means something because we've really gone on a journey with these two men who are leading these two different sides as maybe the sides they would have would have taken up in Captain America, the first Avenger and in Iron Man one, there's no longer the side they're on now, but there's a very organic path to how each of them got there. And I love it. Yeah, it, it is. I love the fact that vision points out the fact like, yeah, like you had mentioned before, these movies happen in real time other than that screwy time jump in, uh, homecoming. homecoming, which they have flat out said they made a mistake on. And I'm like, you did. You you should never have said whatever years earlier. You should have simply said earlier. Yeah. And the fact that the more like it is the comic book trope of like there is a hero. So there needs to be villains to challenge them. And Vision points out like that their our very presence invites conflict. And, of course, the conflict has led to so much damage around the world. And so maybe it's for the best that we do sidestep or kind of kneel to some sort of authority to keep us in check. And I love how, like, Black Widow says, like, maybe this is the right idea. Maybe this is the right thing to do. And I wonder if 
does that seem out of character for Natasha? I think she's questioning herself. You know, she we'll probably learn more of this in the movie, but she basically grew up an assassin and you know, like at least in the comics as a member of like almost the KGB and the Russian super spies, like the Russian equivalents of shield and stuff. She goes up to be an assassin and then she defects from that. And probably I presume with the aid of Hawkeye, she turns and she joins shield and she now thinks she's working for the good guys only to find out that, yeah, there were good guys she was working for, but the people that they were reporting to were the bad guys again. And so it, she's definitely, I, I think she's just lost. So I, I could really make an argument for her going either side here. One side, like Steve, she's questioning authority because every authority she's known has gone poorly. Like Tony, she sees the damage that they're capable of, and she knows the damage she herself has inflicted upon others, the red in her ledger, if you will. And so I think, I honestly, if if, the, if Marcus and McFeely, the writers, told me they decided which team she was going to be on, because like if she was one of the last ones because they wanted to balance the teams out, I would believe that. Because I really think you can make an argument for either way. Ultimately... I think that's why she kind of serves that role of who flipped, you know, again, she's technically team Iron Man, but at the end of the airport battle, she flips. And so, yeah, I do think it works. I mean, I mean, she's, she's a secret agent. She's a double agent, right? Like that's been her MO forever. And that kind of just continued through this. Yeah. And while this is going on, a character of her name of Zemo is in Ohio um, messing around trying to find somebody he ends up running into where he tracks down the old Winter Soldier's uh, handler discovering the handbook which was used to control the Winter Soldier and in a very vicious way drowns the handler as the, as the handler declares Hail Hydra um, one last time and you wonder like what the hell's going on here I know some people were disappointed that we didn't get the classic look for Zemo in this movie. You know, I'm I would I would call count myself among them like at the time like I would have liked to have seen it, but I I don't let it ruin the enjoyment of the overall movie. Yes, all things being equal, I would like to see that purple mask. But you know what? We're going to see that purple mask. And you I I'm trying to think how to phrase this. I might better know the answer to this after Falcon and Winter Soldier, but I wonder if after we see that, if we will look back at this movie as his or as Zemo's origin story. I think you're right because I you, but because at the end of the story, you think his story is over, but obviously Falcon and Winter Soldier proves, um, thanks to that 30 second teaser that obviously he is still involved with the MCU and those characters whom, May still have a thing or two of a little bit of a grudge towards Zemo, and I can't wait to see that play out in Falcon and Winter Soldier. And so at a conference in Vienna where the accord is going to be ratified, uh, oh, no, but before that, before that, I almost jumped over a very important scene. Um, we find out that um, Peggy Carter passed away, and Steve was one of the, the, ball bearer, the pallbearers there, and finds out, oh, his neighbor is actually is the niece of Peggy Carter, and total shock to uh, Steve right there. And we do have a very nice moment between Natasha and Steve in the church at the acts of the funeral is over. 
And I, I really love that moment between the two of them, and especially that scene. You know, <laughs> I, I, I don't, I don't remember. I think, I think we, uh, I think we touched on this in the last episode of this series, but basically. It's always a little icky to me that he's dating his his ex girlfriend's niece now. I'm just like, oh come on, grand niece. That's what apparently the lineage is, but it's niece still nonetheless. Yeah, that, that might make it worse. <laughs> that might make oh. it worse. But it's like, you know, they use this scene, uh, this famous Captain America speech: compromise where you can and where you can't. Don't uh, if, if the world's telling you to move, be a tree and stand your ground. And it's from. It's it's a it's a speech that Captain America gives in the comics. Here they have they have Sharon give this speech and basically say like this was what Aunt Peggy taught me. And the whole you know it, ultimately it comes down to you have to do the right thing, and it's almost giving Steve permission that the right thing and the legal thing may not always go perfectly hand in hand. And when it's legal, wonderful. But when it's not. Steve is always going to do what he thinks is the right thing. And part of me almost feels like this speech here, and this isn't something I had thought of until several viewings of the movie later, is giving him permission, like in his own mind, for his later actions when he believes he is making the right choice. I absolutely agree, because it's almost like a validation of... The feelings he has, and like the the intuition that he has, but he doesn't know how to act on it just yet. And hearing those words out loud, like I think you're right, where it just kind of like ratifies his idea, like no, this is exactly what I need to do. And so funny, like how you can recontextualize words, um, like take dialogue from one character, put it in another character's mouth, and how it can change a little bit. Like you take that speech and you put that in a speech bubble of say Rorschach, and it's a completely different meaning. You're absolutely right, and I, I want to I want to mention one thing about that speech in the comics, the the compromise where you can. Well, yes, Captain America says that in the comics, but he's talking to Spider Man. Like that's part of what helps convince Spider Man of flip sides, and so uh, Spider Man has always always been that character as well. To whatever he thinks is the moral right, he will do, and if he's faced with two moral dilemmas, he will pick the lesser of the two evils. And he has always looked up to Captain America that way. He's also looked up to Iron Man. He, I mean, he's looked at, looked at these, both of these men. I mean, Iron Man has been a mentor to him, but he's looked up and aspires to impress Captain America whenever they're in panels together. So I, I really, I really, I love that they included this speech. No, it's not the same. And I think Chris Evans, I know I touched on this last, last episode. Like he is, amazing at delivering the Captain America speeches. He does such a wonderful job. Part of me, part of me wishes we could have seen him deliver that speech because I know he just would have nailed it, but it is a nice twist on the Captain America speech to have him be the one receiving it because it really was like she was talking just to him. Oh yeah. It seemed hyper specific. Um, that's why I wish he still had a speech in Avengers Endgame, but we'll get there. We'll get there. Um, but in order for Spider-Man to be called into this movie, they needed there to deal with a specific situation. That situation stems out of what happens in Vienna. So Black Widow goes to Vienna to see the Sokovia Accords uh, ratified as we were introduced to King T'Chaka uh, um, and the Prince uh, T'Challa. 
as we now will know him a little bit later on as the Black Panther. Yeah, give it two minutes and he's King T'Challa. Oh. Yes. Oh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but but that is the case. Just give it a couple minutes. So yeah, they'd show T'Chaka on the on a television set in Wanda's room earlier, but this is like the first time we actually like get to spend any time with the character. Not not much time though. No, but he has one of my favorite lines in the entire movie because T'Challa says like two people in the room can get more mm-hmm. things done than a hundred. And then his father <laughs> says, unless you had to move a piano. Yes. Yes. Just showing like T'Challa's like, oh, look how wise I am with this <laughs> this line here. And then he's like, well, move the piano. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Great line. And it, it's it's like, it's such a subtle thing, but it's like the father showing the son, eh, you haven't learned everything yet. And no, by the time Black Panther comes out, you know he's not learned everything. Oh, but all the, the revelations <laughs> that happen in that movie. Um, and I, I, even though they literally have just one moment together to set their entire relationship and it literally is like T'Chaka saying, "Like, oh, for somebody who despises uh, bureaucracy, you're actually doing really well here." And then they they both pause and they both like hold each other's gaze for a moment, and then they they say thank you to each other in their native language. And that's it's surprising how little screen time you really need for an audience to be emotionally attached to someone. Because what happens next is while T'Chaka is giving a speech as the the court's about to be ratified. At the same time, the child realizes, oh, there's a van outside and there's a bomb in there. And I did find this kind of goofy the first time, not knowing that he had the Black Panther powers because he jumps to try and protect his father. He goes airborne. And I was wondering, like, how could he jump that far? I, w- I was unaware of his power set. So the first time in the theater, like, that looked a little silly, him getting, like, the wire the wire work that, that uh, T'Challa had right there. As the bomb blows up, killing a lot of people here in Vienna. Yeah, so the Black Panther, he's got the heart-shaped herb. And it's basically uh, Wakandan super soldier serum. Like, that's the easiest way to describe it. And so right. in, in, uh, in Infinity War, at one point when you have Cap and Bucky and Black Panther all together. And it's like, you've got these three different super soldiers and they all have different abilities. And Black Panther's serum is definitely closer to, to Steve's than what Bucky has. You can just, you can tell by the way they're more physically matched with each other, but he is. So like his, his powers, Panther's powers, they're not just his suit. It's not just his tech. It's his suit and tech combined with, with the herb, with the herb and I get what you mean about that looking maybe a little goofy if you don't know about that, but right after that is T'Challa holding his father and crying over his body and just Chadwick Boseman, wow, did he turn in a great performance and really make you feel for him over the loss of his father when you just met these characters not two minutes ago. Right, I mean, the fact that like there's so many people in this movie you have such little real estate, so every little bit counts. And yeah, we we met Chadwick maybe 120 seconds ago, and now we see him crying over the, the body of his father, and you're with him. You're with him with every moment. You're not just like, oh, that sucks. No, you, you, you your heart breaks for him, and then how he becomes so resolute, like, I'm going to kill the man that's responsible. And a lot of people, I, I bet you, like, 
you know what? You're completely justified in killing Bucky. I hope you do. I hope you put his head on a mantle. Like, I hope he, because he took away your father, like, he should die until we find out, oh, it was a ruse and he was uh, set up. Yeah, and that's, we we get to Chala's reaction to finding that out in this movie. Like, they, they pay that off. Like, his, his story arc of wanting revenge for the death of his father, I think, is paid off pretty well. And then maybe it's ex- expanded again a little bit. And the Black Panther movie itself as he deals with the relationship with finding out his father is not the man he thought he was. But all in all, this movie was, not only was it the big Civil War stuff, but it was the coming out party for Spider-Man and for Black Panther. And as far as I'm concerned, it delivered on them both. Yeah, like it was the perfect tee-up for Black Panther, and that's why I was so excited going into that movie. Because I like, uh, it was like the one unfortunate thing is like, like I was like, crap, I gotta wait two years for the Black Panther movie, and it was worth the wait. But yeah, so it seems that the Winter Soldier is the one who bombed Vienna. That's how everybody perceives what's happened. Um, Cap and Sam realize like, oh, we gotta get to the Winter Soldier. We gotta get to Bucky first before everybody else because. They feel like they can, if they can get to him, they could probably get him in to come in quietly. Vienna doesn't want that; they want blood, and so they're they're coming in guns blazing. So we go to Bucharest as the Winter Soldier is trying to have a kind of a normal life until he realizes, oh, I'm a wanted man, and returns to his apartment to try and get his to go back and get out of there. That's where he comes face to face with uh, Cap for the first time in two years. And they have an unsteady kind of meeting before the um, German military police come and kick in the door, literally. And so how do you feel about their meeting and then the following set piece of them as Winter Soldier tries to escape? So, you know, this movie has the airport battle. And if I say the airport battle, every single person who's seen it knows exactly what I'm talking about. Yes. This sequence doesn't really have a name that way. I always think of it as the Bucky chase or the Bucky capture because this is when they are literally chasing him and it results in their capture. If this is a movie that I can go back to when I want a pick-me-up or whatever, if I just I want to watch a movie that I just absolutely love and adore, this scene is a scene that... the, the I think the only scene in the movie I've seen more times then the conversation between Steve and Bucky followed by the chase leading to his capture is the airport battle. I have rewatched, I've lost track of how many times I have rewatched this chase scene. Um, so I guess I'm going to say I absolutely love it. I think it's an incredible action set piece. It moves from several different environments. You've got the closed quarters of just the apartment he's in, then the stairwell, then the rooftops, and then like the highway tunnel. I think this whole scene, it's, again, the airport scene is such a huge, massive success of a scene that got people talking about it. These other amazing battles often seem to get overlooked or action set pieces seem to get overlooked. And I do think this is one that like people just unfortunately forget about because of that. I, I think it's an incredible scene and it's, it's a, you get a little bit of Bucky working with Captain America, especially at the beginning, but not entirely. They're working a little together, a little up against each other, while at the same time, Bucky's just trying to survive. Cap's trying to keep the, the German police alive, all the while being chased by Bucky and Sam, and eventually War Machine. 
Yeah, this is my favorite set piece of the movie, personally. I cannot fault you for that at all. This, I mean, it's an incredible scene. I, I'm not kidding. I have lost track of how many times I've seen. Like, I will just turn it on and go to this scene and watch it. Yeah, like, like, like I would not be surprised if you're watching it right now as we speak. I am. Um, it's on. <laughs> Literally, it's on in front of me right now. <laughs> of course it is. Um, like, I love the uneasy kind of tension between the two of them before the German police kick in the door. Um, I do find it funny. Like, it's something that's always kind of irked me. Like, it's, it's a nitpick. Bucky says, I'm not going to kill anybody, but I'm going to break the cinder block across this dude's chest, probably cracking his sternum and maybe killing him. Yeah, he and he almost drops the guy down the stairwell, too. And I I I would, I guess, headcanon that as a, he's not intending on killing people, but he's not going to let himself be taken either. To quote The Dark Knight Returns, he's young. He'll walk again. There you um, go. There you go. Especially when he takes the the battering ram and, j- and literally decimates that one dude's knee. I'm like, oh mm-hmm. yeah, that's a prosthetic leg for the rest of his life, right there. But yeah, like what you said before, with Cap and Bucky working as they go down the stairwell, resulting in Bucky just going over the railing and nearly dislocating his metal arm as he grabs onto the railing several stories below. Um, I think one of my favorite shots in the entire MCU is when the Black Panthers join the chase and they're going into the underground tunnel and it's literally whips pans with uh, Bucky, turns back to see the Panther, tries to keep up with him and then tries to keep, no, tries to keep up with Cap and then keeps up with Black Panther as um, Steve pulls a GTA mode by literally stealing somebody's car to keep up with Bucky. Uh, one of my favorite shots in the entire MCU is when Bucky grabs the motorcycle from that guy and does that one fluid motion of knocking a dude off, keeping the inertia, landing on the seat and and riding off. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, like there's a reason why that was shot in slow motion because you want to bask in that glory. Um, I I do question the fact or when Cap is done with he's like I don't need his Audi anymore. He dives out of the Audi as if the the tunnel collapses under the explosion that Bucky causes as it tumbles after him. Like, whoa, it's just like the succinct nature of it. Just like the, the explosion of that, the car, uh, cap jumping out, the car flipping and T'Challa jumping out after them is such it is poetry and motion right there that I've always really enjoyed. I did always question like war machine going real hard. Like, congratulations, captain. You're a criminal. Like, that's a bit harsh there, dude. It, it is harsh, but I think it kind of gets the point across of, you know, it was like you didn't sign. You're not allowed to operate right now. And, you know, you talked about a couple great scenes right there, but I, I got to mention one more. As the tunnel's collapsing on itself, um, Black Panther is basically hanging on the Falcon. And when Falcon stops to keep from running into all the, the falling rubble, Panther flies forward and keeps going, lets his momentum go forward, hits the motorcycle, which stops Bucky, and then allows Captain America to catch up, running, dive-tackling Black Panther, and then getting to, congratulations, you're a criminal, when War Machine shows up. It uh, You called it poetry in motion, and I think that's a very fitting description. Yeah, and of course we had the big dramatic reveal of T'Ch- uh, T'Challa taking off his helmet, which would later become a joke in Black Panther. 
when his sister is like, oh, let's get into a battle. But first, let me put on my helmet before we mm-hmm. do battle. Yep. <laughs> um, <laughs> which is probably my favorite joke when he's walking around in his sandals around uh, Wakanda. What are those? <laughs> uh and then the sneakers pun. Yeah, I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna be chuckling to myself. I'm still laughing about that joke two years later. Um, and so while this is going on, we see Zemo learning the uh, phrases that's used to trigger the Winter Soldier to be docile and following orders, including the word homecoming. And I thought because we knew Spider-Man Homecoming was coming, that we thought that would tie in somehow. It does not. I kind of no, wish. It, I think it, it's just coincidence. Yeah, like because on the commentary track, Marcus McFeely said like they cho- chose words that sounded great in Russian, just frenetically, and then said like, and they strung those together, and that's how they, that's how they came up to it. As well as like the translations, like yeah, you could probably. I think somebody's broken it down, saying there's some kind of pattern between them. I I saw an article about it, but I saw that when we first started doing this review like the, of this series, and I do not remember it. But this is also introduced to Martin Freeman as another character named Ross who is working for the American government here. And it's just always interesting to see Martin, see Martin Freeman with his American accent. And a slight D20, D23 reference is that's the cage that the Winter Soldier is kept in. Yeah, uh, you know, Freeman, he's a character that I hope we see again, like his Ross. No re- no relation to no relation to Secretary Ross, but I, I, I like his involvement here. Um we do get a little bit of a of a scene between Vision and Wanda where they, they really just talk about her unease with her powers and with what she feels she's responsible for, his unease with the mind stone and the way he feels it controls him but he's hoping he will be able to control it. And I think that's an important scene for just later down, because this is really like this movie really establishes the relationship between these two characters that we see in infinity war. And presumably we'll see progress in WandaVision. Yeah. And the fact that like it starts off suddenly with seeing vision cook um, or attempt to cook. Let's, let's be clear about that. And even though Wanda tries to humor him about his cooking skills, and she's like, oh, I'll just run to the store and get what we needed. And that's when he's like, um, I we can send out somebody to get it. Like, Vision, like, what what's going on? Like, or we can order a pizza instead. And we that's when she finds that she's under house arrest, but she just didn't know it. And it's not for it's not for her protection. It's for the protection of everybody else. And that's why it causes the rep between her and Tony Stark and everybody who signed the accords. Yeah, because as she later tells Tony, he locked her in her room. <laughs> and to be fair, that that room was the size of a small community college. So I guess can't really can't be too mad about that. Sure, sure. <laughs> I mean, but the point still stands. He said that's an exaggeration. So. <laughs> And so, and that's when the shield, the flight suit for Falcon is taken uh, into custody. Bird costume. <laughs> I didn't write this, says Sharon. <laughs> the receipt that she, he's given for the gear. Um, and we have a probably one of the best scenes in the movie where Tony tries to extend an olive branch to Steve again. 
and say, like, hey, give him another chance to sign the course now that here are the ramifications. If you do not, if you continue to go about your business without the permission of the accords, this is what's going to happen, but they're not going to be taking prisoners next time. And I do enjoy the blocking in the scene because there's something in, especially in theater blocking, it's also in film blocking. It's called high status, low status, meaning whoever is standing or has the bigger presence over the other actor, they have the higher status in that scene. And how the scene starts out with Steve sitting behind the table with Tony standing and Tony's trying to lean, like to lure in Steve into his kind of thinking right there. And eventually Steve stands up and so they're on the same plane and they seem like they're going to be in the same place. And Tony takes a seat when he kind of wants to brush over the fact like, yeah, Wanda's going to be under house arrest. So I'm going to sit down and not look so threatening. But that's when the conflict really gets into high gear. That's when they start yelling at each other right there. And the status has changed the entire time. And that this scene is so important because without this scene, people would say, like, oh, Cap's in the right. We should be following him. What Marcus McFeely and the Rooster Brothers wanted and what they got at the end, like they said in the commentary track, the last screening they did for the public or the private screen they should they said for test audiences they asked like all right how many people thought tony was in the right 15 people raised their hand how many people thought steve was in the right 15 people raised their hand they're like okay we reached what we wanted to do pack it up that's exactly what we need to do lock picture we don't have to do anything here and without this scene i don't think you would have had that without the rest of the movie yeah i i think it was important to them to really not not decide for you who was in the right. They wanted to leave it so that you could make an argument for either side. You can watch this movie from Cap's perspective and totally understand the actions he takes, but you can do the same thing from Iron Man's perspective, perspective and totally understand the actions that he takes. And this scene with the two of them almost, almost coming to terms. I mean, the pen was in Captain America's hand to signify he could sign. And he's saying, you know, it's not impossible. There's things we'd have to work out. And he's really thinking about it. And it's just, it's the the comment. If if Tony had not said the comment about Wanda, I mean, eventually Steve would have found out. But if, if that had not been said there, the whole trajectory of this movie, and by extension the MCU, might have changed. Yeah, and I feel like this is still at the point where Tony is jealous of Steve because his father loved Steve more than his own son. Or at least he certainly feels that way. I think we can right. maybe debate if he did, but he certainly feels that way. Yes. And it's not resolved until Avengers Endgame when the wibbly wobbly timey wimey stuff gets into effect in that movie. Um, and so, yeah, this is like when the like the rift is really starting to come to a head here. While at the same time, a package is delivered to the power station outside of uh, outside of Germany, right there, outside of Berlin. Excuse me. And this is when the interrogator goes to speak with Bucky, and we find out it's actually Zemo in disguise. While this is going on, 
The package is delivered to the power station as the EMP device, which knocks out the power temporarily to the facility that they're in, allowing Zemo to activate the Winter Soldier. Despite the many protests of the Winter Soldier, who does not want to do this. Unfortunately, Zemo is successful. The Winter Soldier is activated. And everybody, their mother, tries to stop the Winter Soldier to no avail. Another great action scene. I think of this as the Bucky escape when he goes to to get free. And what I like about this one is, like, the next big battle we get is all the heroes in costume, right? This one, nobody's in costume. And I like that juxtaposition there of that way of, they're just seeing, I mean, I guess the closest thing you get to a costume is a hand gauntlet that Tony has. But you really see... You see Bucky hold his own against Captain America, for one thing. Cap, one, doesn't have his shield, and two, he is still fighting his friend and is really just playing defense the whole time. But you see what Black Panther can do without a suit, showing, yeah, he can do this stuff without the suit because of who he is. And then uh, Wanda, or not, I'm sorry, not Wanda, Natasha and Sharon, the two of them even face Bucky, and Sharon gives this crack of, you could at least remember me. And it's like, hmm, they've met before, and that's, that's, I don't, I don't need to see that scene, like, when they met before in the past when he was full-fledged Winter Soldier, but part of me just kind of wants to, you know, like, if if that was, like, a short film, like, they used to do those Marvel shorts, if that was one of those, I would be, I wouldn't be upset with that. No, I mean, like, you put two bullets at me, can't you remember me? No? Okay. Um, I mean, like the one Marvel short that I want to see paid off is Trevor. All hail the King. Yeah. 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 Well, I mean, just wait for Shang-Chi. Yeah. Whenever that happens. uh... Hey, they're, they're back in production. So, I mean, are they shooting in America or are they shooting in Europe? No, no, no. They're not in America. (laughs) No, that's ridiculous. That's why they're back in production. That's ridiculous. (laughs) You joke. (laughs) That's why I'm just like, there's a reason why New Zealand is probably like, uh, is right now is probably the best place to shoot something right now, along with Australia. It's like, you know what? COVID case is not so prominent right there. That's why I can't wait for Mission Impossible to start shooting again. Uh and especially since I rewatched the Mission Impossible franchise over the past like two weeks, and I'm like, God damn it! I need I need to see Tom Cruise run again on the big screen. Anyway, um, but I, I do enjoy the moment where Natasha asks like Tony, like, did you bring a suit? Like, yeah, it's three pieces. No, I was not expecting to bring an Iron Man suit here, and all he has is that little gauntlet. And it was a highlight of the early trailers is Tony stopping that bullet in his gauntlet from going into his brain like oh that was a close call like he almost took a bullet to the face from the winter soldier and it, you're right it is a sight to behold um and the look on tony's face when like, when he catches that i i mean i kind of took it as almost a call back to what he thought was going to happen at the elevator at mit and it's like, whereas before he thought he was stopping a gun from being pulled on him and it was just a picture here, the gun was pulled by an assassin and fired and he just barely survived. Yeah. Um, and you're like, he has that moment, like he almost has like a small smirk, like, whoo, huh, that was a close one. Then he gets knocked out. Um, and then we, we get to see is when Winter Soldier gets into a helicopter and then we find out that. Chris Evans does not skip tricep days or bicep days whatsoever. 
as he holds onto a helicopter, literally by by his own arms and holds on to the helipad and like Jesus Christ Chris Evans you're making all of us who work out look bad I mean he's Captain America you gotta let that one go not not a comparison you will ever ever make nor should you even try no I mean that's the same thing with like with any Hollywood star never compare yourself never compare yourself to any bodybuilders um and so Zemo escapes despite um uh Falcon going after him and we get almost like we have the inverse of the end of Winter Soldier instead of Winter Soldier saving Cap from going into a body of water. It's Cap doing it this time. Mm-hmm. And with an, one concussion later, Winter Soldier is deactivated. And we get the scene that we saw at the end of Ant-Man where it's the interrogation of Winter Soldier with his arm in the vice grip. And we find that, yeah, he's back to normal and he should be trusted, even though Falcon's a little hesitant about this. Sure. Right before this, you get a brief shot of Zemo um, listening to a voicemail from his wife. And at the time, we don't really know what Zemo's motivations are. So this is just a voicemail from his wife that he's listening to. And he cuts it off before it ends so you don't see the whole thing. Obviously, later we find out, oh, it's like the last voicemail he has from his wife. But... I think it's just important because it just kind of helps to set up Zemo's motivations with telling us. And then, of course, you know, you mentioned the scene at the end of Ant-Man, and this is where Steve says, you know, like, we're on our own, and Falcon's like, well, I may know a guy. Yeah, because the reason why the Winter Soldier is so worried right now is because there's an entire squad of Winter Soldiers, and they're far worse than he is. And it is like it is kind of a horrifying thing, like seeing the other Hydra agents being turned into Winter Soldiers. But I do like the detail of the fact that they pointed out like, oh, these are all the stunt doubles for all the major characters in this movie. So we don't have to stunt double them like they can just be the Winter Soldiers and how seeing the Winter Soldier not be able to hold his own against the group. Like, yeah, like these are people they need to worry about. And they literally become the MacGuffin of the movie to stop them from being activated. Right. Like these, he said, like, these were the best of the best. These were the people that could take entire countries down inside, like, of hours or days. And they all now have their version of the super soldier serum within him. And this is now what Team Cap is after. This, This gets overlooked a lot. This is their objective. They believe that Zemo is going after to activate these Winter Soldiers. That's what they are trying to stop. Their objective at this point, it's got really nothing to do with Team Iron Man other than getting past them because they couldn't convince them. I mean, we're going to see them try, but their objective is to get past, to get to this group of Winter Soldiers. Like That's what they're after. And... You know, at this point, we just kind of assume, like, in the first time you're watching the movie, the big final battle of the movie is going to be whoever is still standing on the Avengers side versus this group of Winter Soldiers. Obviously, we'll find out that's not exactly how it went down. No, because it subverts the expectations of a third act that you would imagine most comic book movies are like, especially in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. They're they're keenly aware of how third acts are. I mean, it is curious. Like you think of 
this third act subverts expectations. And then within the same year, you had the same kind of subversion of it, of a giant sky beam and a city destruction in Doctor Strange. Mm-hmm. But also became one of the most memeable moments of 2016 with a Dormammu, I've come to bargain. Yeah, I mean, he's he's coming to bargain. What are you going to say? Uh, that's right. That's what 2020 is. It's it is strange dealing with Dormammu. That's where that's how that's why time feels so strange right now. No pun intended. Um, so they realize they need backup, and so they call up they call upon some people. At the same time, Natasha and Tony are realizing like kind of would be nice if we had a Hulk right now to help stop Cap because they're going rogue, and. That's when they realize they need some backup. And all the big title cards, like we've seen, Bucharest, Berlin, Vienna, Largos, has just been building up to this moment here when Natasha asks, like, who are you thinking of? Tony Smirks. And then we cut to Queens. And as a Spider-Man fan, and this is New York, and, like, so many people just, like, just cheering because we've all been waiting for this moment right here. And we're introduced to Tom Holland, Spider-Man, Marissa Tomei is Aunt May. And one of the greatest additions to the MCU in this moment. Now, as the resident Spider-Man expert, I will say, I'll ask, how do you feel about this full first meeting of Peter Parker? Massive smile on my face. This entire scene as I'm, I'm just watching this kid just nail it. Just embody Peter Parker in this scene. And you could just tell and the nervousness at meeting Tony Stark and not wanting to reveal, uh, trying to keep up like with the situation. Oh, you're here. I, I'm here about the grant that you applied for, right? You remember wink, wink and like him just trying to pick it up. And then when they go into his room, which this scene was actually one that like they did a chemist that Holland and Downey did a chemistry test on. And it's just such a, beautiful piece of acting between these two men and I mean there's so much about it that just feels like Spider-Man tinkering with like they're showing his science like aptitude by tinkering with like basically the garbage as Tony put it that he found because that's all he could afford he couldn't buy anything more expensive than that he gives Okay, this is a point of contention with people with the MCU Spider-Mans. We have not actually heard, with great power comes great responsibility. And I will tell you, I will be happy if slash when we ever actually do hear those words. But the sentiment behind it, this scene gave us. His first scene in the MCU, they gave us that sentiment and... It does bother me that people are so hung up on the actual words which originally was a narration box. It wasn't even like, it's been retconned to be what uncle Ben said, but like, like an amazing 15 when he, he was introduced amazing fantasy 15. When Peter was introduced, like it was a narration box. Like it was almost like his own inner monologue coming to those words. It's like the sentiment is there and people are so focused on the words. They're missing like the meaning of the words and when Tony looks at him and just says, why do you do this? And he says, when you can do the things that I can and you don't, and then the bad things happen, they happen because of you. That's just another way of saying with great power comes great responsibility. And I, I don't blame 
the MCU at all for, let's say, treading lightly with what they do regarding his origin because we had just seen it a couple times relatively recently, like within the last 15 years between the Tobey Maguire Spider-Man movies and then again the Andrew Garfield Spider-Man movies. And not just their first ones, but especially in the Maguire years with many, with several callbacks in each movie to the Uncle Ben, I get why even to this day they really haven't gone down that well. Would I like to see it eventually? Yeah, I would. I would like to see, you know, the Uncle Ben, he, he's been referenced in passing. I would like to see something a little more direct. I'm a big proponent of there are certain characters that we don't need an origin story for. Spider-Man is one of them. Batman is one of them. Superman is one of them. Like we don't need the origin story for those characters. I'm a big proponent of that, but I feel like now would be a really good time to kind of give us a little flashback to that and just maybe not give us the full origin, but just give us a little bit of it. Uh, Give us an uncle Ben say the line because people haven't picked up on this other more modern telling of it. I love this scene. Like when you can do the things that I can't, then you don't. And then the bad things happen. That's they happen because of you that embodies Spider-Man. Like I'm sorry. That is Spider-Man. And because of that, I I love it. He is my favorite Spider-Man. I think he's the best mix of both Peter and Spider-Man. And I'm not saying I don't enjoy McGuire and I don't enjoy Garfield, but the way they introduced him here, this feels like the best mix of what makes Peter Parker and Spider-Man a great character smile ear to ear as big as I possibly could this entire scene. Yeah. Like if we want, like, you know what, if you want to be, if you want to be super cool MCU, if you want to be like, win over the hearts and minds of so many people who've been waiting for uncle Ben to show up in the MCU, have Nicholas Hammond play uncle Ben. <laughs> well, I mean, it'd be a win, right? It'd, it'd definitely be an easy win. Yeah, I mean, like you had like the first, like the first live action Spider Man in the nineteen seventies. Even though that that costume was looked like it came from yeah. a, a store, and his, <laughs> his eyes looked like spoons. Yeah, uh, it's not the best. <laughs> no, it, like it, like my friend Mike and I, we've done mis- like our mystery science theater version of watching that version of Spider Man. Um, but you know, like you're right. I mean, like when great power became. Um, comes great responsibility it became such a i wouldn't say like it it loomed heavy over the spider-man character in the subsequent years since the first raimi spider-man movie to the point of parody like even when it came to andrew garfield when uncle ben like martin sheen's uncle ben had you convey a similar thing like they they don't say they they use the word responsibility but they don't say those kind of exact words because it became ubiquitous when it came to the spider-man character that i think it was right that the mcu didn't just follow the path of the exact same thing i mean even the andrew garfield ones didn't do the exact same thing they kind of did in their own way now i understand the traditionalists that were kind of upset with the decisions made with not having Uncle Ben there, and so it kind of making Tony Stark like I'm your uncle now, kind of thing, um, to much less extent. But I think it's appropriate for this relationship there, and I think 
I only think the reason why it works is because Tom Holland and Robert Downey have such chemistry. If they didn't, then I'd see more people being justifiably upset that Uncle Ben's not included in the MCU so far. Sure. Sure. I, I, I get that. For, to me, the biggest thing is like they show his responsibility. They show his sense of responsibility. We see that even more in Homecoming and in Far From Home, Infinity War. It, that's the thing about Spider-Man you got to have is the sense of responsibility. He has to always do what he thinks is the right thing, and he has to try to be as responsible as he can be, sometimes to his own detriment. And I feel we get that with Tom Holland. We don't necessarily see all of it in this movie because he does have relatively small amount of screen time, but the foundation is here with that line, and then it goes further into his other appearances throughout the MCU. Yes. And then we cut back to Berlin where uh, Sharon has smuggled out the Falcon suit and the Captain America shield for Falcon and Captain America. Um, where the second kiss that um, Steve Rogers is allowed to have in the modern day, anyway, is with his grand, uh, the grandies of his girlfriend, Megan. Still make it a kind of icky to audiences mm-hmm. around the world. Yeah, but after they kiss, that moment of Sam and Bucky just nodding their heads in approval is amazing. I mean, because it's it, it's your friend um, getting lucky, so of course you're proud of them and everything, and everybody's kind of just like the smile and the slight head nod they have right there um, is just amazing. Even the moment before when. Bucky asks for Falcon to move the seat up a little bit, and Falcon is like, no. Resulting in Bucky have to shimmy across the seat a little bit. It's that uh, it's that tension between, like, each of their best friend is the same guy, but they don't really know each other that well or get along that well. No, because the last time they really had an interaction with each other, one of them tried to kill the other. Right, right. But it's all, like you say, it's only compounded by the fact that their best friend is the same person, and they're like, "Well, no, he's my best friend. No, he's my best friend." Kind of thing, <laughs> right? And I'm hoping that we will see them bond over their shared uh, grief. Isn't the right word because they know he's alive, but like bond over their friendship of Steve. That it can become to the point where they can develop their own friendship and partnership uh, going forward in Falcon and Winter Soldier. Uh, yeah, I, I can see. Bucky turning to Sam saying, like, our best friend is a California raisin now, so we got to make the best of it. And going forward, uh, while this was happening, uh, Hawkeye is sent to rescue Wanda from the Avengers uh, mansion, resulting in a little fisticuffs between he and Vision, which is, I guess you would say beyond pointless, but like it was there just to motivate Wanda into choosing a side here. Um, but I do like the kind of cap- the joyous attitude Hawkeye brings to the movie, whatever scene he's in. Yeah, and it's important to remember he has this connection with Wanda because, for starters, her brother died saving his life, and they had just a brilliant moment together in Sokovia in Age of Ultron, where Hawkeye, to paraphrase, says, paraphrase says, basically, if you want to stay here, that's fine. If you want to hide, that's fine. But if you walk out of that door, you're an Avenger, so you need to step up. And 
it really seemed like those two had a connection from that point forward. And I think we see more of that here when Clint goes to get her. Yeah. And to paraphrase even further, like we're fighting robots in the middle of a floating city and I have a bow and arrow. None of this makes sense. <laughs> yes. I love that moment. And like following that scene, hence one of my favorite lines from Hawkeye is when uh, Quicksilver makes another crack about trying to keep up and Hawkeye mimes shooting an arrow at him. He's like, Nobody would know. Nobody. Yeah, last time I saw him, Ultron was sitting on a poor bastard. I missed him already. <laughs> pretty pretty much. Um, and so Wanda fights Vision, or like, Lily, I think, just changed the molecular structure of him, making him incredibly dense, forcing him through the Avengers Mansion and into the Earth itself. Yeah, but importantly, getting him to let go of of Clint first. Otherwise, he would have dragged Clint down with him. Yeah, probably ripping him in two in the process. Um, but while they were heading to Berlin, they picked up another character from the MCU, Scott Lang. Um, and <laughs> I love how Scott Lang is pretty much playing the audience right here, like how you would react if you met Captain America face-to-face. I'm shaking your hand too long, aren't I? (laughs) (laughs) And not only that, he puts his hands on Captain America just to to feel how built he is. He's like, wow, you really are built like a tank. And like, even like the half-heartedly like recognizes Wanda. Hey, I know you too. You're awesome. Um, He brings such levity to the scene here. And it was something that, the writers and directors were kind of conscious of when they made this movie is that this movie became very dour. So they needed levity to kind of alleviate that, especially since like the airport battle, which we're getting to in a moment is literally the end of the second act. Now, usually in, if your movie's going to have an happy ending, the end of the second act going into the third act is just like the lowest point um, for your characters. And, since they know they're kind of ending on a dour mo- mo- uh, mood with this movie, they kind of thought they needed to have a little bit of a more of a lighthearted, a deft touch when it came to the second act uh, going to the third act, which has led to debate on the questionable levity during the airport battle, which still rages on to this day on the internet. Yeah, I try my best to avoid those most most of the time. I, I don't always succeed, but I try. Yeah, I know a lot of people love this thing. A lot of people say this is 20 minutes they don't need to see anymore. And I'm just like, I understand what they're going for here. I don't think the, I think the jokes and levity gets a little bit more egregious in the two Avengers movies coming up. And I'll get into that when we get there. Um, but seeing like the, the that each team has their own wisecracking person where we have like Scott Lang on Team Cap and Spider-Man on Team Iron Man. And so we get to the empty parking lot known as the airport battle here. Um, right, before, before before we go into the airport, like the main battle, Clint's arrived with Ant-Man with Scott. And it's important to note that they, yes, it's empty, but they, it, it seems like people just miss this, that they announce over the PA system to clear the airport. Like they evacuate the airport. And then Clint also says, and we have a chopper lined up. So it's like, they realize 
that the airport's being evacuated because Tony knows they're there, but they have a chopper that they're trying to get to, to get to those winter soldiers that we talked about earlier. Right. And like that, that's like the MCU is very conscious about human life, especially like that's what Whedon was like when he did his two Avengers movies. That's why he kept like, there is a, there's an article I read that was examining going into Endgame examining the Russo's Brothers Avenger movie versus the Whedon era movies when it comes to the Avengers. And the idea was that Whedon was more conscious of the fact of the everyday person in those movies showing everyday people react to the greater calamities that were happening in these Avenger battles where the Russo Brothers are seems to be more... They concentrate more on the superheroes rather than just the everyday people reacting to it. Hence why you don't see a lot of people reacting to the the exploits of these of the Avengers in Infinity War and Endgame, which can you can lead the, you can make your own conclusions of that. But you're right, it is a conscious choice here in Civil War not to have any people around as they do get out. Very much like Alan, the same year with Batman v Superman. The reason why Batman brings uh, Doomsday to the docks because it's abandoned. The port's abandoned. There's nobody here. Nobody's going to get hurt if they're going to battle this giant monster from space. Right. The The point is, they're trying to have this fight in an area where people aren't going to get hurt. And it, it, I think it's really important to just keep, when you watch this scene, to really focus on their objectives. Again, Team Cap, go after the other Winter Soldiers. Team Iron Man, bring in Team Cap alive. They're not trying to to kill them. They're trying to incapacitate them, to capture them, to retrieve them, whatever word you want to use. So people do like to complain that this scene feels like it doesn't have stakes because they're not out to kill each other, as though the only way for a movie with superheroes to have stakes is if it's immediately life or death and that there's no other conflicts like say emotional. And I I mean, Tim, I just don't agree with that assessment at all. And again, the entire point of this is Captain America trying to get by. In fact, it's really team cap that actually like throws the first punch and it happens when they find out where the Quinjet is because their helicopter had just been incapacitated by Iron Man. Yeah, and I was one of those people. Like, and, I, and to a certain extent, I still feel like that way. I still feel like because, like we had mentioned before earlier, like oh, going to Age of Ultron, you knew Captain America: Civil War was coming, so it kind of deflated the tension that could happen in Age of Ultron, or you knew what kind of things were going to be set up in there. That is the downside of a cinematic universe that announces its movies before it comes out um, so far in advance. So you think, oh, well, I know that character's going to be in there, so it kind of deflates potential tension that's going to be happening later on. And I do feel like certain people should get picked off a little bit along the way, and which when we get to Avengers Endgame, certain people do. Um, and I felt for the longest time with this movie, this movie should have had a more substantial collateral damage amongst somewhere in the ranks to really illustrate the 
the barbaric nature of this conflict that was totally unnecessary. Yeah, and you know it was unnecessary. Like they, Tony or Steve even tried to tell him, uh, Tony, there's five other Winter Soldiers just like him. We've got to stop him. He doesn't believe him, and the it just happens. But again, it's like I, I don't think more physical casualties were needed. I don't think more people were needed to be in Rhodey's situation because I feel like by Iron Man capturing several of them, several of basically all of team cap minus him and Bucky. I I feel like that accomplishes the same thing. Either way, you've imprisoned them. You've stopped them. You've captured them. They lost. And I mean, well, Sam even says if, for you guys to get through, some of us are going to have to lose this. Like, if we're going to win, some of us have to lose. I, to me, it, this is a fun scene. And I guess if you want to debate if there should be any scenes called fun in a movie named Civil War, okay, sure. But it's, it's. I mean, we've already seen Black Panther, but we get more of him at Spider-Man's coming out party. And they, I mean, I love that they had Spider-Man face off with specifically with Sam and Bucky. Because as I've already established, those are two of my favorite characters. Just this entire scene is a great showcase of the different powers that all these different characters have. While again, at the same time, they're not out for blood. And that's by design that's on purpose. Yeah, there's only one person out for blood. That's Black Panther. Right, right. And if you look at him, he is more vicious than the others are. Yes. Like, sure, Wanda is throwing cars at people, but she's throwing cars at people who can take the barrage of automobiles yeah. landing on She's them. throwing cars at Iron Man. She's not throwing cars at Natasha. Of course, she threw Natasha into a car, but that's still not the same thing. Yeah. And uh, Scott thought he was throwing a water truck, but accidentally it was a fuel truck and nearly blows up a roadie in the process. Yeah, but even that, like, it just shows, like, it wasn't, he, he's not trying to kill him. He's just trying to stop him. Um, I do like that we get just the the littlest tease of the spider sense of the Peter Tingle as it would be known come to be known when stuff gets thrown at Spider Man when he's fighting Bucky and Sam and like you see his eyes go wide real quick and then he dodges out of the way. Clearly it's early, clearly he doesn't isn't able to fully uh, utilize that power, but that is, uh, I think, one of his coolest powers, and it, it would be a while before we really see it full fledged. But by the time we got there, I think it really it was worth the wait. No, it is not like a '90s cartoon where we're gonna have uh, a shredding guitar and the environment go all haywire every time you get the spider sense. Um, it's far more subtle that way, but it does lead to a great punchline when. I think Bucky throws like part of a kiosk at Spider-Man. Spider-Man just throws it right back at him because of Spider-Sense and his webbing uh, mm-hmm. abilities. Uh, <laughs> it, it, like, yeah, like sure. Like some people like your mileage may vary when it comes to the humor throughout this set piece. Like I, I've learned to love it and everything. And especially the one joke where, Black Widow and Hawkeye are facing off with, like, those billy clubs, and they get to a moment where they're at a standstill, and Natasha says, like, hey, we're still friends, right? And Hawkeye retorts, like, it just depends on how much you hit, how hard you hit me, resulting in um, um, Scarlet Witch tossing her side, saying, you're pulling your punches. Um, Yeah, and so, like, what are the moments that really stand out for you during this climactic battle? 
Well, I love I love the face off when they walk towards each other, and then Spider Man says they're not stopping, and Iron Man just says neither are we. Uh, Captain America. There's a, a great shot of Captain America versus Black Panther prior to that moment, like in the like in the first part of it. Um, Black Panther and Hawkeye meeting. Clint says, "Hey, we haven't met each other. I'm Clint." And Black Panther says, "I don't care." I mean, that basically becomes set up for a callback in Endgame when at a time when they very much are on the same side, T'Challa calls him Clint. And it's like, oh, no, I, I didn't care, but I still remembered your name. And I like seeing Bucky versus Black Panther. I like seeing, again, Black Panther versus Captain America. But my favorite is Captain America versus Spider-Man. Like, that is my favorite moment of this battle. Because, obviously, it is it is my favorite two characters in the MCU facing off. And while I would have loved the opportunity to see them team up for an adventure, beyond, I mean, yes, they were on the same side, like, in the Portals battle and stuff. But, I mean, like, the two of them. I, I would have loved to have seen them. Just seeing them interact with each other, I, th- I thought was absolutely fantastic. And I love the way they're just like, hey, where are you from, Queens? Oh, I'm from Brooklyn. Yeah, like just the like nice little nod right there, and when Spider-Man, like the reason why Spider-Man is convinced is like, you think you're right, and you, but you're doing wrong, so that makes you dangerous. And despite how many uh, kicks to the face that he takes uh, because of Cap, um, uh, he still kind of respects uh, Cap's in America. Like he, he still. Like he's fan, he's like fanboying over him, even though Cap has whacked him in the face several times with a shield. Like he still is like, oh my god, I just got hit by Captain America. Um, yeah, it is really it is a nice touch to see them work together. Um, I even enjoy the moment when Bucky and Black Panther get to face off. When Bucky says, "I didn't kill your father," and Black Panther didn't just comes back at him and saying, then why did you run away? Like, it seems like he's willing to hear reason, but he doesn't get a chance to explain himself because the battle ensues. And you're right, like, that nice little callback that we'll get in Endgame between Clint and Black Panther is amazing. Um, and seeing Giant Man mm-hmm. um, finally show himself, but I think what sells the effect is two things. One, seeing Spider-Man scream at holy shit when Giant Man appears and then Paul Rudd's laughter is so bassy because of the size of his vocal cords he's like oh and they focus that? they focus on his eyes and they're just wide and like surprised <laughs> that it worked it really sells the moment like like because that's the exact effect that everybody else in the theater must have been feeling right there. It's like, oh my god, the little man is big. The little man is big right now. Yeah, way to go, Tic Tac. <laughs> and I, I think it's uh, Tony that says like, if anybody has any kind of weird, oddly specific uh, abilities you want to show right now, now would be the time. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, resulting into a uh, Spider-Man says, hey, you guys ever remember that really old movie, The Empire Strikes Back? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, they kind of, I guess, slight retcon because he's clearly a bigger Star Wars fan in Homecoming, but it's still a funny line, and maybe he just wanted to call it an old movie, but yeah, it's... I love that scene when he's webbing him up around him. Iron Man and War Machine punch him. Spider-Man says, that was awesome, but Ant-Man's hand flailing about still knocks Spider-Man across the airport. 
Yeah. Um, <laughs> like on the commentary track, it says like there was one critic that said that's that pointed out like knowing the kind of person that Peter Parker is, he would know the Empire Strikes Back is not 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 that that old. And the filmmakers retort was like, that's an old man criticizing this movie right there. That's why he doesn't think the Empire Strikes Back is that old because he was young when that movie came out. Yeah. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's a fair point. <laughs> but when um, Natasha stops uh, Black Panther from getting Bucky as Captain Bucky gets to the Quinjet and Vision goes to stop the Quinjet, uh, along with the same time Rhodey is going after the Quinjet, but with Falcon on his uh, tail... Vision tries to stop Falcon, but accidentally, but Falcon is able to evade the beam coming from the, the mind gem that's in Vision that accidentally wings Rhodey, resulting in him plummeting to the earth with a loud thud. Yeah, this is where Vision learns he has emotions that can be distracted because he was distracted by Wanda when that happened. Yeah, and I think it is it's one of the most impactful uses a sound design the entire movie like one it's tony stark screaming roads within the visor then we cut to that wide shot they're panning both falcon and iron man they're about to get in the back again and then thud as Rhodey re meets the earth head on and is severely injured falcon is immediately remorseful of what just happened but that results in getting blasted with a hand cannon by iron man yeah, because even Falcon tried to save him because, again, to hammer home the point, they're not trying to kill each other. And it wasn't until really that moment that I feel like Iron Man's switch started to flip that he he doesn't know where he's at right now. He doesn't know how he feels. Obviously, he goes to so has a couple extremes in front of him of which, of which way he's going to go between working with Captain America and still fighting him, but... That was a key turning point for Iron Man, where basically he's saying the kid gloves are coming off. Yeah. And so it seems that Rhodey's going to be paralyzed from the waist down. At least it seems like that first. He's baffled at the fact that Vision actually made a mistake, that he's actually more human than he actually seems to be, or is perceived to be. And everybody else is, bring to, is brought to the raft in underwater prison from Marvel Comics, and he goes to interrogate everybody after hearing, after realizing that, I don't know, was it before or after he gets to the raft that he realizes that Bucky's been set up? That Tony realizes it? That Tony realizes it, yeah. Well, he he starts to... I mean, he basically starts to believe it when he kills, as he puts it, he knocks out the A from their AV. And Tony talks with Sam and convinces Sam to tell him where Captain America went. And that is when he starts to realize they're actually trying to stop this larger threat. Yeah. Um, I do enjoy the moment here. Like, this between, obviously, Hawkeye and Iron Man. And... Hawkeye points out, like, yep, you're just a subversive uh, person to the government, and what happened here is your fault. And Tony's retorts, like, 
Yeah, and you put your family in jeopardy because now you're in prison. You're never going to see them again. That is on you. You jeopardize them. Um, Scott Lang tries to talk tough, and he's like, Hank Pym was right, never trust a Stark. And the greatest comeback that uh, Tony can say to Ant-Man is, who are you? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's a harsh, harsh burn there. Yeah, because he's just a little man compared to Iron Man. Um, quite, quite literally. <laughs> and so Stark levels with uh, uh, with uh, Falcon. <laughs> and even though he tries to be a good cop, and he says he had to go on Mark Furman on my ass to get some information out of him. Like, that's a dated like oj trial reference but okay um yeah i guess i guess i'm remembering yeah he he knew that bucky was set up because he got footage uh like he found out about the the doctor the psychiatrist being killed that was supposed to be the psychiatrist who was seeing bucky when when zemo made bucky escape so that was the point when i i guess technically that's when he knew something was up and then he talked to sam about where to go right and because we see one of the russo brothers as the dead body um as the doctor that zemo impersonated uh so tony finds out where they're going gets into his helicopter and is leaving that's when he secretly turns into iron man with the power of technology and blasts off in the opposite direction but little does he know he's being pursued by the black panther yeah, there that that shot of him like sticking his finger into the little gizmo or whatever on his armrest, and then the suit coming up around him and forming around his body. I I'm a sucker for the Iron Man suit forming around him. I love that. Yeah, I think this might be like like I think my favorite Iron Man suit transformations. Obviously, my favorite is still Iron Man two is a suitcase suit. I think that's still my favorite. Um, next would be. Him falling out of Avengers Tower in Avengers and that mm, yeah, forming around one. him before he hits the ground. Uh, and then the first, the very first one when he gets into the Mark One suit before he wreaks havoc on everybody in the cave. And so on and so forth. But, so he's heads off to the um, place where the Winter Soldiers already are. But Zemo's already gotten there before him and it looks like they're going to fail. Because he gets into the facility and we don't know how long he's been there by the time that Cap and Bucky show up. And they have one little last moment before they head into the facility. And I, I always chuckle here because they're talking about the um, the redhead that Bucky was head over heels for named Dolores. And it was funny because my Nana was a redhead named Dolores. So <laughs> There you go. There you go. <laughs> And so I just like I'm like ah, 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 ah. I, I I look around the theater like are they talking about my family whatever, uh, but this is when they finally come face to face with Stark again and he believes them, um, and everything seems to be cool between the three of them momentarily. Yeah, I I love this shot of Iron Man coming in and just cap in front with the shield holding it up to defend them while Bucky's holding the gun above his head. I, I, I love that shot. And you know, this is still like we all think we're just gonna we're we're gonna see we've seen the Civil War part of this, the airport scene. We now think we're going to see the part where they kiss and make up, and the three of them are gonna team up against the winter soldiers and 
well, yeah, we saw one of them take on Bucky in the past. Captain America's of a different caliber. Iron Man has his tech. This is where we expect to see them win. And Zemo's just like, are you kidding? Do you think I wanted more of you? No, because that would just, that is like releasing chaos upon the world. That is of biblical proportions. So no, he puts a bullet in the forehead of all the Winter Soldiers in stasis. He got oh, them And all. with Black Panther, they're just in an alternate world where we saw that. That would have been a really cool fight scene. Oh yeah. The four of them versus all the Winter Soldiers, like mm-hmm. it would be mesmerizing to say the least. But what but, we got was probably better. Yeah, it was all in service to play a VHS tape. Yeah, so we we get this tape of the incident from the beginning of the movie of Bucky taking out these people in this car when he stole the serum. And this is where it's, you know, Tony sees. It's his parents. It's his dad. It's his mom. And this is when the true civil war happens. And it it's not, it's not the entire Avengers versus the entire Avengers. It is... Tony versus Stephen Bucky. And it is one of the most vicious fights I think I've seen in any comic book movie. Yeah, and it's because Zemo points out greater men have tried to take down the Avengers. People from space, AI that's out of this world, and they still couldn't defeat the Avengers. Like take it down from like take down a city from the outside and they can always be rebuilt. But if you take down the foundations from within, they'll never be able to be the same. So it all leads to this moment here because Tony is not in full control of his emotional uh, faculties. He's not Steve in that regard. He's very headstrong and he wants to kill Bucky. Steve tries to say like, I didn't know it was him. And that's when Tony says, don't bullshit me, Rogers. Did you know Bucky killed my parents? And Steve says, yes. And, you know, there are some that believe that is the moment when Steve basically became worthy of the hammer. That, you know, like we saw him kind of pick up, like nudge the hammer in Age of Ultron. And there's debate over whether or not he nudged it but stopped himself because he didn't want to cause issues with Thor. Or he literally couldn't move it any further than that because he wasn't quite worthy yet. And that the reason he wasn't worthy is by that point, he effectively knew that his one good friend killed the parents of his other friend. Why? That he was able to compromise as a person? That's why he was able to lift the hammer? Uh, or that he finally came clean because he's been holding on to the secret and he's now come clean. And it's just, it's a theory that's going out there. I personally, I subscribe to the, he chose not to move the hammer in age of Ultron and had the final battle gone down a different way. Maybe he would have, but I, I understand where people are coming from who, who think this other side of it, that Steve just wasn't worthy until he came clean about Howard and Maria Stark. That makes sense. I, I'm in the same camp as you as I think he could have lifted the entire time and just didn't want to hurt Thor's feelings. Hurt his feelings, cause strife among the team, uh, hurt Thor's confidence, any of those things. Oh yeah, because I think 
Thor is one of the, like, as powerful as he is, he is very fragile compared to everybody else in the Avengers. Not, not to be shitting on him or anything like that, but I think that's why it makes him so relatable, because he's so fallible. That's why it has one of my favorite scenes in Infinity Wars, his heart-to-heart with Rocket. But we'll oh my gosh, that scene's incredible, but yes, let's let's save that for next time. Yeah, because that's a 45-minute conversation between the two of us right there. Um, and that's when we cl- have a close-up on Tony, and Tony backhands Steve, Iron Man's up, and tries to kill Bucky, resulting in the, the true civil war of this movie as the entire time, Tony wants to kill Bucky, Bucky wants to, and Bucky and Steve just want to incapacitate Tony, and blood has been spilled to this point here, and one of the most brutal fights in a PG-13 comic book movie commences, so... Brent, your feelings on this fight scene between the three of them. Yeah, in, in the airport, they were fighting to get either get past the other side or to capture the other side. Here, it's Iron Man fighting to kill. Iron Man is actively trying to kill Bucky. While Bucky is just trying to survive, and I do think Bucky would have killed Iron Man to save his own life there, with Steve in the middle working with Bucky because he knows right now Iron Man, Bucky would not survive one-on-one with Iron Man. And... He's trying his best to hold his own with him, but there's only so much he can do against the Iron Man suit. And he does eventually, you know, get the upper hand and is able to, like, damage the power core and stuff. But, you know, you've got, like, Cap telling Bucky just to run. And he tries to escape. And uh, I, I really like this moment where Iron Man's targeting systems are messed up. And so he just opens his helmet up, says, I'm going to eyeball it, and he just does it manually. And he, by hitting the the roof area, he closes the escape hatch that Bucky was trying to get out of. All the while, Zemo is watching, and T'Challa finds him. So we don't know what T'Challa's true. I mean, we just assume when he goes, he's going after Bucky, but he now knows the truth. He now knows that Bucky is innocent. Zemo's the one who killed his father, and he's come to, he's face-to-face with the man who killed his dad. And so... We've got these two different people facing the people who killed their parents and two very different reactions, polar opposite reactions at the same time. Just incredible storytelling. Yeah, I mean, two things. One, Tony could have killed Bucky with that rocket. He could have shot that at him and blown Bucky up into a million pieces. But no, he sealed him in because I think he wanted to choke the life out of him. I agree. Much like, much agree. like how he did to his mother. He he did not want Bucky's death to be quick. Oh, no. And he's going there to avenge his mother. Not his father, because we all know Howard and Tony had not the greatest relationship. Even though Howard Stark died in a very brutal fashion with like his own skull crushing his own brain, pretty much. Um, Zemo slinks off into the darkness with his hate boner, and the resulting scene afterwards, when we hear the full message, like, you're right, that Zemo's just been listening to the same voicemail over and over, because it's the last recording of his wife. As somebody who's lost people in my life, I've done it before. That's a very real thing to do. And... When T'Challa comes clean, he's like, I 
vengeance has filled their heart and almost it's consuming their hearts and almost consumed me. And he's not going to kill Zemo, even though Zemo was, was on a suicide mission the entire time. And this was Chadwick Boseman's first day on set, this scene. Really? I did not know that. Yeah, on the commentary track, the filmmaker said, like, yeah, this is the first scene that Chadwick Boseman had on the set of Civil War. Talk about a thing to, like, leave an impression. Like, that's the first, that's the arguably the second heaviest scene for your character, and you do it flawlessly. That's just a testament to him as an actor. I love when the moment when Zemo tries to kill himself and T'Challa saves him and just says, the living are not done with you yet. Oh yeah, I mean, I mean, obviously it saves it because like we we could potentially have more Avengers with Zemo, which it's coming with Falcon and Winter Soldier. But it, it just says it illustrates so much of T'Challa as a character. Say you take that out, if that was Killmonger in that position, Killmonger would just let him. He would have a killed Zemo or just let Zemo kill himself, and I just further exemplifies the differences as the two kings that they were of Wakanda. Like the, it just further illustrates the differences of those two characters. But the, when they finally Bucky cap and Tony all end up in the base of this missile silo here in, in Russia and Bucky loses his arm due to the power cores, like own, like his uh, unibeam or whatever. Yeah. And we finally we get a nice little nod to the comics. We have the famous panel of of Iron Man shooting both his wrist gauntlets and Cap defending himself with a shield. And of course One of my I, two favorite shots of this scene. I was gonna say, like, how do you feel about this little final battle between the three of them? It's got two of my favorite... I mean, two of my favorite shots of this overall scene is one, that homage to the Civil War comic, and two, the shot where Iron Man is basically on his knees with Cap and Bucky trading punches with him and throwing the shield back and forth to each other. Love the way they work together in that scene. It's it's another thing. I said earlier I would would really enjoy seeing Cap and Spider-Man on an adventure together. I would have enjoyed seeing Bucky and Steve together too, like even more than we did. Yeah, and like if you're a cap, if you're a team cap fan, it's a great moment to see him and Bucky trade blows back and forth, kicking the shit out of Iron Man. If you're a team Iron Man fan, it's a horrifying moment seeing him, your your hero being on the ropes between the two hero, the two other combatants. Of course, but then ultimately, when Captain America wins, he goes to take out the power core and. Iron Man's chest, the look on Tony's face in that scene, he really thinks that Steve's about to bash him in the face with a shield. And, like, it's almost heartbreaking that he thinks that's going to happen. It's almost heartbreaking that that's the situation they're in where it is plausible that could be the case. Oh, there's a moment, like, in this, like, just for a fraction of a second, I thought, he's going to bury that shield into Tony's skull. And that's what the filmmakers wanted, and they accomplished that. And of course, the the he buries into the power core and disabling the suit. But another moment earlier, a few seconds prior, when 
Tony tells the suit to analyze his attack pattern. They figure it out, and then Tony says, let's kick his ass. And you're like, mm-hmm. oh, shit, Cap's going to be really screwed right here. And then, of course, we have he does get the shit kicked out of him by Iron Man, resulting into the first callback, I can do this all day. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> which comes back into a more comedic effect when we get to Avengers Endgame. Which is, oh, the relief I had because I thought they were going to use that as a way to for Captain America to die. And then the whole, I'm with you to the end of the line, Buck. I thought Bucky and Captain America were both going to die when I went in to watch Endgame the first time. Yeah. Um, and this is when Cap is, is helping the injured Bucky get out of there. When Iron Man says, like, you don't deserve that shield. My father made that for you, and now he's dead. And ka-clunk, Cap abandons the shield behind him. And a story should feel different at the end as it does at the beginning. Now, sure, there's no dead characters at the end of this huge conflict here. But on the commentary track, I think it was Anthony Russo that said this. This movie is not about death. It's about a divorce. And it's a splitting of the team here. If one of the characters died along the way, it would be a divorce and a death in the family. It would be putting a hat on a hat kind of thing. It would be doubling down on it. It wouldn't be necessary. And so the splitting of the team is what's necessary here for this story. And the Avengers being torn apart. Um, Characters are stuck in the raft. Um, That... Rhodey is able to walk, but it's going to hurt because he has to go through a lot of physical therapy. But we have a nice little reprieve with the Stan Lee cameo as a FedEx delivery looking for Tony Stank. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I love those cameos. But yeah, like you mentioned before, the uh, letter that Cap gives uh, to Tony here. So your final thoughts, like I guess like the the wrap-up at the end of here that the letter and that Cap rescues everybody out of the raft, or at least two people out of the raft. So a, a common criticism of of this movie as a whole is that there aren't stakes. And again, I think that goes back to the whole, some misconception that it seems like people have of if a character's life is not at stake, that there are zero stakes to it. And I I like what you said, how they referred to it on the commentary track about uh, it's more of a divorce than it is a death in the family. I think it's important to remember that because of the events of this movie, because of the actions that Zemo took, and yes, there's no getting around it, that Zemo, he had some basically help from happenstance, from circumstances, from Zemo effectively got lucky at times. Okay, great. He's not the perfect supervillain. He was never trying to be a supervillain before this. He was just out for revenge. But he ended up pulling it off. He he may have got captured, but he split the Avengers up. And because the Avengers are split up, the Marvel Universe lost half of all life. And so I'm like, if 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 you believe that you need stakes for for something to matter. I, I'm sorry. It's just the it's the way they do it. You have to go a little bit further down the story to get it because not every chapter in the MCU is really a one off, and I think that's okay because it's just their way of telling stories. They're trying to tell this big grand story, and 
you talked earlier about how often the second act at the end of a movie is a really low point. Well, I mean, technically this is the start of phase three, but it's the first thing after phase two ends. You could argue that they're hitting that low point here. And no, it's probably not as low as what they get to in Infinity War, but I would not consider Infinity War the second act of the MCU. And I just feel like the Avengers are split. They are effectively broken. Some of them physically. Some of them are under arrest. Some of them are under house arrest. This movie, we see ramifications from this movie in Black Panther, in Spider-Man Homecoming, in Ant-Man and the Wasp, in, and then, of course, in Infinity War and leading into Endgame. To say that this movie doesn't have stakes, I think it's just, frankly, I think it's just a hor- horrific take. I think it absolutely does. It's just not the stakes of everybody was going to die. And if we're being honest, when we go to these comic book movies, how often do we really expect all the heroes to die anyway? It's pretty rare that we go into a movie expecting to see these characters die. Right. I mean, obviously, its biggest competitor this year, in a very similar way, is obviously Batman v Superman. Now, we went into that movie not expecting Superman to die. Spoilers. But he did. I mean, I mean, yeah, he did, but they also show you, oh, he's coming back to life before the movie's over. Right. <laughs> so it's like, I mean, they all survive there, too. And I, I'm not going to tell you that, look, I am no champion for that movie, but I'm not ever going to say it doesn't have stakes just because we know that ultimately Superman survived and we knew before the credits rolled that he was going to survive. I, I, it doesn't, that doesn't take away from whether or not the if the movie worked for you, that doesn't take away from it. He, there were still the stakes. The, the character Lois still believed he died. And again, I'm not the champion of that movie, but I do feel in this case, it's applicable just because how the other characters reacted is what made Superman's death meaningful for the people who it touched. Yeah. I I mean, like it was BVS was still in the top 10 most highest grossing movies of that year. Obviously, I'm looking at the, the top 10 uh, most successful movies of 2016. The first five were all Disney. Um, so it's Civil War, Rogue One, Finding Dory, Zootopia, and The Jungle Book. Four, Rogue One was that same year? I thought Rogue One was a year later. It was the holiday season of 2016. Mm, okay. Um, yeah, and all, all but one were a billion dollars more. Um, BVS is number seven at eight hundred seventy-three million. Um, and then of course, at nine and ten were Deadpool and the Suicide Squad. Um, I love Deadpool. Yeah, and we actually we we've had this conversation. I know. <laughs> <laughs> like, I may watch the first Deadpool again. I, I might be in the mood for it. But my final thoughts, like at least at the ending here, like yes, it is. I've learned to like it. I've learned to enjoy this a lot more than I, because I, I like so many people. I'm like, somebody should have died. You should like, let's have a body count. Like, like we should see real stakes here. And it is, it is I've softened up on it a little bit. Like, yeah, it's, it's about the friendship and it's the emotional attachment here of it. That that's the biggest, um, 
casualty of this movie here. Um, the scene between Zemo and Ross when Zemo is, is brought back to the same facility in Berlin like we saw before. And Ross is like looking, this, Martin Freeman's, uh, Ross is looking so like smug about it, like, yep, we got you, we got you locked up and you, all that machinations and you still lost. And Zemo says, did I? And it's cut to a close-up of Martin Freeman and he's slowly starts to realize like, Maybe he's right. Maybe he did win. It's very subtle, but I always enjoyed that moment right there. And, of course, that even though there are no differences and it literally became a life-and-death scenario, Cap will always consider Tony a friend. That's why he leaves him that letter and that phone. If you need me, just call me. And that shot of Cap coming out of the darkness to rescue uh, Falcon out of there... Well, obviously, it's a nice setup to be paid up later on in Infinity War. Um, and also a nice little detail that we see Scott Lang drumming while he's in his, his little cell, which is paid off in Ant-Man the Wasp with him and his electronic drum kit. Mm-hmm. Good catch. Um, which leads to the strangest end credit scene in the entire MCU. Which with one? With the end. With the ant drumming along oh, at the very end okay, of the okay, Ant-Man. Okay, I got you. Yes, that that that's a weird one. I I thought you meant I thought you meant one of the Civil War ones. I'm trying to remember what are the. So the first uh, Civil War one is T'Challa taking Bucky and putting him back on ice at Bucky's request. Yes. The second in one Wakanda. in Wakanda. The second one is Peter getting home, seeing his. Aunt, Aunt May and saying, yeah, I got, got into a fight. What was his name? Oh, his name was Steve. His friend was huge. <laughs> and, 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 like, and they just gave us the Spider-Man will return. Right. And I think it's the Kevin Smith that dubbed it like the everybody gets a black guy in this movie. It is the tasteful black guy in this movie because everybody gets a black guy in this movie throughout the entire... Somebody mm-hmm. like... <laughs> Uh, Falcon gets one. Tony gets one. Peter gets one. Like, everybody gets a tasteful black guy throughout this movie. Yeah, and uh, Tony will still have it at the beginning of Spider-Man: Homecoming. I never thought about that. He totally does. Mm-hmm. Little details like that, man. Huh. Anyway, uh, final thoughts on Captain America: Civil War. I. I adore this movie. I it delivered for me. The the people there are some criticisms of it that I do kind of understand. Yeah, it could was maybe the rush to bring in Peter just a little clunky. I guess if you really want to nitpick it, Ross gave Tony thirty six hours. How many of them did he waste flying home and then flying back? But ultimately, what little complaints I have do fall into nitpick category at best i love this movie i think it's a fantastic movie i think for me this movie was not topped until infinity war and it's i mean i that i mean i i I do believe infinity war is a better movie i also know i've i've even since infinity war coming out i've probably seen scenes of civil war especially the chase and the airport more more times than i have seen uh, the Battle of Wakanda or the Battle of Titan in Infinity War. 
I think Civil War was a massive achievement for Marvel. I really do. And if if the Winter Soldier was the Russo brothers coming out party, the Civil War is when they like, or at least at the time I thought it's when they just owned the place. And that I mean that one movie is a huge part of why they're my favorite comic book directors. I mean, it brought my absolute all time favorite character into what I believe is the greatest comic book franchise. And I, I mean, I don't know what else there is to say about it. I, I know I gush over this movie. I knew I was going to the second you brought this up and I I didn't need to rewatch the movie for this conversation, but I'm not going to turn down any excuse to put on Captain America Civil War. But Brent, don't you know the greatest comic book franchise is the Fox X-Men movies? Um, no. <laughs> you are mistaken. They have some movies that I really like, and someday we could talk about them if you want. But no. <laughs> I do love Deadpool, though. My face twitched after I said that. Like, even my own body, like, fought against me like that, like, involuntarily. Like, nah, like, they, even, even my own body couldn't convince myself of that. The thing is, they really do have some movies that I really do like quite a bit. So, and they've also got some real stinkers in there, too. But, all right, that's a, that's a that's a conversation for another day. Yeah, some of them made by questionable people. Um, no joke. Uh, yeah. I mean, like, if I had to, like, make my favorite, like, comic book action set pieces, the Nightcrawler uh, White House attack is, like, in the holds top up, five. Holds up today? Yeah, it does. And then the Quicksilver fight in the Pentagon. That's still amazing. Anyway... My final thoughts is it's a movie that's grown on me. Like I like obviously I had a rocky first time seeing it, and I thought like so many people like it deserved like it needed more stage like any I need like like drowning pool I need the bodies to hit the floor to be a satisfying movie, but I mean it's just my bloodlust has subsided. Um, that I really enjoy the story that they told here. Like I. I went into it with preconceived notions, and then I didn't get the movie I wanted. I appreciated the movie what they gave. That's what I've come around to. Judging on its own terms, not by my own um, expectations. And I think the Rooster Brothers are better filmmakers by the time they got to this point. I think, even though some of the parts of the story you can kind of like be a little nitpicky about here, I think this is a better made movie than Winter Soldier. I know that's going to be I know somebody's going to give me hellish rebuke for saying something like that, but I think it is a better made movie than it is Winter Soldier. Um, and I think the making of it obviously gave Marvel the confidence to give them the keys to the kingdom to not give them the Russo Brothers not one, but two Avengers movies to be shot back to back, which we'll get into next time. And I think it's something I'm going to go back and watch more and more. Especially if I'm going to, like, every now and then I, I kind of want to watch Age of Ultron. I think now, I think I'm just going to have to immediately follow it up with Civil War because they're so intertwined and they just, it fits so perfectly into each other, like a jigsaw puzzle. So I absolutely, I absolutely adore this movie. And I think it's a, it deserves its high regard in, when it comes to the MCU and comic book movies. Completely agree. Definitely. Now, Brent, if people are not listening to your shows or following on social media, where can people find you? Sure. Uh, Twitter on Twitter and Brentech Prime. 
the two shows I have, um, I have Marvel Squadcast with my good friend Brock, whom uh, that show is eh, roughly every three to four weeks or so. It's just kind of a little side thing we're playing around with a little bit. And then I have a weekly show uh, with my co-host Ray called uh, Fans Without Borders. We've been doing that one for quite a while at this point. We're up over, uh, at the time we record this, this morning I recorded episode 165 of that show. So, um, man, that thing's lasted a lot longer than I think we ever thought it would. But... Uh, that that show is a weekly show, you know. I, I mean, one or two weeks off here and there, but we we try to have it. New episodes of that drop every Monday, so um, you can find links to both of those shows either from my Twitter profile or at squadcastmedia.com. Very nice. Yeah, you and Conan O'Brien needs a friend podcast are my go-to Monday morning podcasts. I will take that association. <laughs> yeah. I, you're in good company, if uh, if I'm saying so. Um, yeah, if you want to follow me on social media, you can follow me on Twitter at TimothyRooney2, my Instagram at TRooney1012, my other podcast, Please Rewind, the RF4RM Retro Show, where very much like this format of the show, but it is just about movies when it comes to anniversaries, where we're just a general discussion, and it's like, it's edutainment, it's, it's laughter, and you be a little educated along the way. I kind of hope I made you laugh and you're able to learn a few things during this episode. And my YouTube channel, Through Lens Productions, because I'm a filmmaker first and foremost. You go to youtube.com slash Through the Lens Productions through as if you're going through a window. We can see the links to all my short films are up there. And I counted um, I have possibly five new videos coming out between now and Halloween. So, wow. If, yeah, I realized, like, yep, th- that's just like. With months of me doing one or two things, the fall is my busiest time because it's around my birthday and it's horror-related stuff. So, of course, it's when I'm the most busiest. Go figure. So, we we'll just have to wait and see how things go. So, subscribe to that. And subscribe to this show. And please, you want so you never miss an episode. Leave us a five-star written review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast to get the word out. Uh, Brent, thank you for taking so much time. Hey, nice to talk Captain America Civil War with me. Not a problem. Thank you, and come back next time to continue to talk about uh, uh, geek and pop culture, and we'll speak to you soon.